0: Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly.
1: Hey, it's Gonzano I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback.
0: Away we go.
2: Initialize sequence.
0: Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Bald Baldface Truth.
2: Well, the
1: presidents of the ACC met today to talk about whether or not they will add Stanford and Cal to the ACC. SMU involved in that uh, that flirtation as well. The ACC knows it has restless members, and it aims to use the money generated by adding Stanford, Cal, and possibly SMU, likely SMU, to create a pool of funds that will serve as an opportunity for that conference to uh, sprinkle some money over the existing members. Stanford would take a reduced distribution. Cal would take a reduced distribution. SMU, get this, according to Pete Thamel of ESPN, SMU willing to take a zero distribution in the first seven years of the deal. That means the donors and the boosters at SMU are willing to subsidize the athletic department to the tune of uh, 100 to $200 million over seven years. Big money, deep pockets. Stanford, all of its sports would be included in the ACC if this does happen. Amid this, I reached out to officials at Oregon State and Washington State, and a source at one of the two schools told me, quote, I will fight to the bloody end, end quote. Meaning that these two schools have not only plotted a path to be a Pac-4, they're also, as I told you yesterday, plotting as a Pac-2, uh, if that includes a merger or the addition of the Mountain West or, frankly, the Mountain West Conference just taking over the Pac-12's brand or something like that. I'm still left a little bit disappointed with... Um, you know, kind of the money grab that this is, I, I shouldn't say a little disappointed. I, I'm disappointed that college athletics is essentially gone and over as we all knew it. And I think you have to look at what is happening in the space now. And especially Stanford become, you know, Stanford to me is so emblematic of what college athletics is supposed to be. You know, frankly, they haven't competed well in football. They have the you know, the, the director's cup that, the you know, that they win in, you know, most years because they have athletes in non-revenue generating sports that just dominate. Uh, Stanford does it a little different on college football game days. You know, there are a lot of fans in the stands and, you know, you're parking in a eucalyptus grove and you're watching the Stanford band do the national anthem with that one trumpet player at the end of the end zone. And you know they're running around at halftime and you kind of look at Stanford and you say okay that this is a true college experience that is different than anywhere else and frankly um you know, it is a little quirky and we're watching that now get sucked into the vortex of what is happening in college athletics and i and i've talked to a number of people on air off air that are um in varying degrees uncomfortable with what they're seeing um, disappointed and disenchanted with what they're seeing, and frankly, in some cases, just downright angry about what they're seeing. Kyle Smith, the basketball coach at Washington State, um, I talked to him last night. He's unhappy, and he's basically just saying, this makes no sense. What Chip Kelly said was right. Why are we zigzagging all over the country, asking the non-revenue-generating sports to follow the football uh you know, the, the chow line created by football. It's just silly as you look at it. And, you know, he was uh, so upset by it. You know, he's basically, you know, looking around going, hey, we got left behind, as Washington State did. And um, ultimately, as you look at kind of the uh, unfolding of uh, the conference as it as it has happened, and you kind of see... Uh, what is going on with, um, you know, Oregon State and Washington State in particular, I I think those schools have a bigger beef and a bigger reason to be upset than just about anybody else. Frankly, they do, but more so than anybody else in college athletics or anywhere else. And, Stephen, you know, I want to open the phone lines. I want to hear from people who are watching what is happening to college athletics. Um, You know, in a time when, you know, Reggie Bush today met with his attorneys and, they're accusing the NCAA of uh, defaming him. They're basically just saying, "Hey, years ago you said you know Reggie Bush uh, was involved in a pay-for-play scenario and uh, won the Heisman Trophy. They stripped his records afterwards because he took his family took some money, uh, lived rent-free, and he got a suit in the deal, and he got you know free use of hotel rooms. Basically, got kind of a a very moderate uh, NIL deal by today's standards." And uh, they've stripped Reg, Reggie Bush of his Heisman Trophy and his records. And the Heisman Trust is saying, hey, you know, we'll give him the Heisman back if the NCAA restores his records. But because they stripped his records, um, you know, we, uh, we don't feel like uh, that, that Heisman Trophy should be a thing and should be out there. Um, Steven, I want to know from you, you know, are you disenchanted? Do you think people will become increasingly disappointed with what they see in in college athletics to the point where it turns people off, or if it does become 28 teams, because some have surmised it's going to be 60 teams. Others have said, no, Fox and ESPN won't want that many teams. It'll be down to like 28 football teams. It'll be like the NFL in the old days. And, you know, you'll get to see Michigan State play LSU. You'll get to see Oregon play Uh, against Ohio State you'll get you know premier matchups every week and you know of course the players will be athletes but others are going hey you're going to basically disenfranchise everybody else do you think there will be some pushback from the market will people get turned off by what they're seeing now
3: yeah I do I think you get pushed back a little bit because and I've said this lots of times John the thing about college sports it's not about the actual quality on the field it's about the the pageantry and the fact that a lot of people went to that school you're an alum of that school you have a personal connection with that school it's turning into a minor league NFL system and no offense to the minor league systems in all sports you know the hillsborough hops are around here they're fun games to go to nobody really actually cares like who's on the team how they're doing same thing with the g league the rip city remix like yeah it's cool to have the g leagues here but like are we really going to care no we're not going to care and so i'm afraid that's what it's going to turn into because if we just go with the the actual product on the field it's not going to be even close to the nfl the nfl is way better the fact we like the nfl is because they are superior athletes that are just elite at their jobs the college football game is not like that. It's it's about the pageantry and the emotion. And so the fact that we're just going to lose that and it's going to be a minor league system for the NFL, I do think there's going to be some pushback on it. And you know what? I'll probably still watch it because I'm going to bet on it and I'm going to you know, watch sports and I'm going to talk about sports. But at the same time, like I'm not going to like it as much. I'll be honest, I won't. And it, it is a little – it's sad because I love the college game. The college game, I just love all that emotion stuff. And if it really turns into just a minor league system – I, it's just not going to be as much fun. I feel like just the passion is going to be uh sucked out of the out of the gym, off the field a little bit.
1: I want to put this out to callers on the phone lines. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. I want you to tell me kind of, you know, along those lines, will you watch college football if it's if it's not a um if it's not, you know, quite the NFL, but you know, will there be enough there? Like cuz I kind of think like the brand of Ohio State the brand of LSU, the brand of Michigan, the brand of USC, even the brand of Oregon regionally and nationally uh, will draw people to the television. But I think you lose something when you don't have your, a dog in the fight when it comes to your school. And I think, you know, the NFL is able to create wonderful parody. And, you know, this this every year, like, I you know, I went through the, the teams that I thought had a chance to get to the Super Bowl. It's, it's eight or nine or ten deep in the NFL this year. So you got about a third of the league, uh, you know, a quarter to a third of the league that starts the season going, hey, we, reasonably, we can get there. And there might be more. Like, you know, half the league's fan bases probably think they can get to the Super Bowl. And part of that is created by the fact that you've got revenue sharing and small market teams like Kansas City can compete with the New York Jets. And in fact, uh, if they uh, are, are if they draft better and are well coached and make good decisions in free agency, they'll they'll outperform the New York Jets. It's it's a very equitable, merit based scenario that the NFL has created. The problem, though, as it pertains to college football, is I think you're going to have some schools that have a tremendous advantage. Ohio State's got a tremendous advantage with the momentum it has, the conference it belongs to, the media deal it has. And I just don't think you can put those things on the same playing field as even like the ACC, the Pac-12, or the Big 12 schools in today's game, and expect those things to compete equitably. And even if you then put them into a scenario where, hey, there's just 28 teams, you're all going to get the same amount of money. It's equal revenue sharing. Nobody will get any more than anybody else. I still kind of wonder if you're leaving out, you know, a hundred plus schools that used to play. You know, major division one football, or even if you pared it down to the, to the, uh, power five conferences and you said, Hey, there, you know, there used to be 60 or 80 schools that really mattered in college football. And you've pared that down to 28. I just wonder how many fans are going to go, Hey, I don't even want to do this. Like, you know, if I want professional football, I'll go to the NFL. I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575. You check. I also want, like, I'd be curious to get Judah's input as well on this topic because, you know, as we're kind of watching this unfold, I think, you know, for me, I'm close to it. I'm reporting on it. I'm talking to people who are involved in it. And there's a lot of emotion right now at Oregon State and Washington State because they're reliving kind of the trauma of that Friday where, They all got left behind. They're reliving it in real time again as Stanford and Cal are now flirting with the ACC. And, you know, one of their contingency plans may have a stake driven through the heart of it.
0: Yeah, it's ridiculous. And I I totally feel and and, uh, try my best to empathize. I guess I can't really empathize with where Oregon State and Washington State are at. But I I feel for them. And for you, John, the fact that you are talking to first-party individuals that are on the forefront of this, that's what makes it real to me. And the way that you deliver those conversations, the off air conversations, even the on air conversations that you've had, that's what resonates with me. The conversation you had with Greg Byrne <laughs> from yeah. his position as an Alabama, Alabama. Yeah. Like just and then just saying, Man, what is happening? What are we doing? Jack Swarbrick with Dan Patrick this morning, the Notre Dame A D, says, What are we doing? Literally, what are we doing? It makes no sense. And what really gets me at the end of it, and this is hardly an original thought, but all these moves, Big Ten, yada, yada, whoever you are, you you stare in the camera and you say, we're doing this in the best interest of a student athlete. My ass. Are you serious? And the fact that that's the company line that continues to be trotted out there and people are just supposed to buy it? Like... Where where do people get off with this? Honestly, and I know, like you know, it's not like Rob Mullins and and uh, the new president Schultz. You know, they're they're trying to set the university up in the right direction, but man, it just makes me want to throw up sometimes.
1: The system is bad. Let's go to the phone lines. It's a bad system. Roy's in Portland. Roy, you have a SEC perspective. Lay it on us. Well, you know,
4: um, I, I I honestly do. One thing I will give clear cough is I think. It is going towards streaming, and I think that deal would have been great because let me—I live in Portland, okay. Mm. I want to see SEC football, but a lot of times I don't have—I don't have time to see a game or sit by my TV all day and wait for a game. But if I have a streaming service, I can go look at the games that I want, and then and look at my team and look up my team, you know. But you got to blame the greedy university presidents. And you know you got coaches making ninety-two million dollar contracts. You got you go to these university campuses; it looks like a resort. You got you know the, I mean what the money has to come from somewhere, and um, you know it's 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 just a, it's just a, it's just the it's just where we are today. And the NFL could end all this if they started a minor league football system, but they refuse to do that. They always want to make college football their minor league football system. And uh, and another thing, Oregon State fans and Washington State fans, John, I really feel sorry for you guys, but this may be hard to hear. <laughs> you did not deserve the money that you was getting in the Pac-12. I'm sorry. You was being subsidized by the rest of the pac Your market doesn't like I understand the tradition of being in the Pac-12. You did not deserve 30. Your program does not deserve $30 million a year. You deserve 4 or $5 million a year in the Mountain West. I'm sorry people don't want to hear that. But you don't bring the, you don't have the location, and you don't bring the revenue. You offer nothing to be walking around talking about my school deserves. No, maybe back in the nineties, and the eighties, and the, but in today's college football, Oregon State and Washington State doesn't deserve thirty million dollars a year. They belong. Yeah, in the I, but I think
1: along those lines, I think you could say the same thing about Indiana, Maryland, Rutgers, Vanderbilt, Northwestern. I mean, we can go into yeah, the I mean, ACC, and the SEC, and. I think you're gonna ha like you know, you're you're ultimately Roy really gonna leave those SEC and Big Ten teams with nobody to play but each other.
4: Yeah, I totally agree. Vanderbilt doesn't deserve the money they're getting from the SEC and neither does Northwestern deserve the money they're getting from the Big Ten. But what's keeping those people getting what's keeping the Vanderbilts and the Rutgers and 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 those schools getting that money is their league didn't break apart. I knew once the Pac twelve broke apart, Oregon State and Washington State was finished because they're not they weren't they're not they they just in today's market you cannot command you're only gonna get what you're worth. You don't bring thirty million dollars worth of revenue to the table and no so no conference is gonna give you that. You don't you I mean you gotta take the four or five million dollars from the non west and call it a day because that's honestly that's what you deserve.
1: Yeah, I appreciate the phone call. Let's go to Mark in Portland. Mark join the conversation. What's on your mind?
4: Yeah,
5: says Roy the SEC fan. They have all the ESPN, BCS, all the power, um, it's it's just ridiculous to listen to the, 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 the power it has to be about. You know, I, I want to see, I think because of the postseason, John, the 16 teams, or uh, whatever they're going to, 12 to 16 teams, you know, when all this settles down, it, it could be possible four or five years from now, Oregon State wins the Mountain West Conference and runs into a third-place Big Ten Oregon team in the playoffs. So just because we have that possibility, as far as the post- postseason is concerned, it can't be worse than what college football has given us <laughs> in the true. history of college
4: football. That's, They've true. never
5: given us a real postseason. So I'm hoping everything settles down and everybody gets back to the game and, and Oregon State goes to the Mountain West Conference if that's what happens and starts dominating. And, and you know, uh, they this this could change the way things are going. They could be in the Big 12 in two years. We don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of look, the way I look at it is I see that, you know, if they went to a model that had 28 teams in the upper tier, in the upper division of college football, just to steal Chip Kelly's theory and blend it with some others, yeah I, I would love to see, rele, you know, a, a system that had relegation and a system that had promotion, meaning that if your football program outperforms the peers in your group you know, it, the top 28 teams are going to play each other, but guess what? The bottom five or the bottom eight uh, end up having to drop down. They're relegated to Tier 2, and the top five or the top eight, uh, you know, are promoted into the to- upper tier. And over time, I think what you would see, like you see in kind of like the Premier League in soccer, is you would see the great programs, the great teams that just kind of, you know, the the system becomes very merit-based. It becomes very fair it becomes um, incentivized for programs like Oregon State. And, um, you know, and even like if you uh, want to, you know, use an example like when Roy's talking about, hey, Vanderbilt or Purdue or Indiana, they're not performing, but they're getting the same media rights distribution. That, the fact that Northwestern gets the same amount of money as Ohio State is silly. You know, other conferences have to be looking over going, you ought to be worried when the next round of expansion comes up, um, you know, there, there may not be room. For Rutgers, there may not be room for Vanderbilt in major conferences, and and I think a system where you had maybe three tiers, and each one of them included twenty eight or thirty teams, and you had relegation and and promotion, I think would satisfy a couple of things. One, it would make everybody feel like they had a dog in a fight. It would re re uh, regionalize college football because I think you're you're really risking losing fans that are Oregon State fans, Washington State fans, and frankly all the teams in the Big 12 that won't matter when they uh, when they decide to splinter football away. And, you know, it'll be the top 28 brands in the country or the top 30 brands in the country, and, and that will be it. Uh, I think it solves that problem, and I think it, it uh, creates a system where there's a flow. And, hey, if Oregon State, if you belong in the top 28, go prove it. And if they do prove it, then they're in the top 28, and they get top 28 money. Uh, Let's go to Gary in Tualatin. Gary, what's on your mind?
5: Hey, John, go Ducks. Hey, one of the things that you're not talking about is uh, two years ago, all the stadiums were empty, and that had to be a big hit on a lot of these uh, athletic departments. Uh, Even when when it did open up, you still had to get a passport or take that uh, test if you didn't get the shot, and I wasn't going to get the shot. I wasn't going to take the test, and so I missed going to Ducks first time in 40 years, right? Uh, so you put a real crimp on all of these uh, athletic departments, and then uh, you start waving the money in front of them to, to bail them out. What were they supposed to do? I mean, one of the things you really haven't talked about was these stadiums being empty for, for yeah. two years.
1: It wasn't just the empty stadiums. It's a great point. Uh, thanks, Gary, for the call. It was a great point because it wasn't just the empty stadiums. Because they didn't play the games, they didn't play a full season, they didn't collect their full media rights payouts. And, you know, the stories came in the wake of the pandemic. Oregon State was, you know, had $20 million less in revenue. Oregon had $40 million less in revenue. Uh, Utah was looking at a $50 million hit in revenue. Washington and Washington State were hammered. And you're right, it left, I think, the universities hyper-focused on filling the hole in their budget, which became a problem. Uh, let's go to Cal and Eugene, listening on that powerhouse signal, Fox Sports, Eugene. Cal, what's up, man?
5: Cal, uh, well, First of all, I completely agree with all of you guys in terms of I hate the direction everything is going, especially if it were to move to more of an NFL model with around 30 teams. And I think a big reason why is what makes college athletics fun is, I think, specifically the upset. So... Certainly football is the most popular sport, but I might argue that basketball tournament is the most popular event. Yes. And what makes it fun about it is having the 14 seeds beat the three seeds or you know, having Duke get knocked out by a small school in the Sweet 16. So what I would rather see is actually football perhaps drop the conference champion game, championship game and then extend the playoffs to either 16 or maybe even 32 teams. I think that's a stretch, but I do think that would make the season more fun and give football a bit of that madness.
1: yeah, I, th- I think you're right too, but guess what They're coming for that NCAA tournament as well. Uh, they attempted it in the last round. They attempted to go after uh, some of the automatic uh, qualifiers and uh, and take those away from some conferences. Um, but uh, you know i I just think uh, you know college athletics has lost its way. We'll talk more about it. I want more of your phone calls. Tyson Aldridge the I-5 Corridor is going to join the conversation as well. The phone number is 503-417-7575. ACC stands to get about $72 million in additional revenue from ESPN if it expands by three schools. Its deal uh, requires uh, $24 million from ESPN for every new member. Stanford and Cal... SMU all pursuing the ACC, and it looks like there's some pushback in the ACC footprint that is really interesting. I don't know how this is going to end. I'm not going to pretend to guess whether they can swing one vote or not, but they've got about $72 million in additional revenue from Stanford, Cal, and SMU if they add those three schools. Now, there's some travel expenses here. I don't know how you're going to offset the travel expenses. I don't know how much additional revenue will be available. But let's just say you got $50 million to sprinkle over the ACC members who are unhappy, yeah, particularly some of the schools that are saying, hey, we're not voting for this because you know we, we, it's not getting us more money. Uh, what can the ACC do there to try to swing one vote? Well, we'll find out. Uh, and where does this leave Oregon State and Washington State? A source at one of those two schools telling me today, quote, I will fight to the bloody end, end quote. And uh, it's already bloody. But uh, Oregon State and Washington State trying to figure out a path. A guy who's been uh, a longtime reporter on the Pac-12 beat, understands the Pacific Northwest better than most, Tyson Alger, i5corridor.com, who happens to be celebrating an anniversary. Is it two years today? Is that right? That You launched the i5corridor.
6: It's it's two years today, John. The uh, the website hasn't crashed yet. The the, the servers aren't overloaded. Uh, we're we're hanging in there. Uh, thanks for having me on today, buddy.
1: Yeah, you bet. Congratulations on that. That's it's awesome. We're, we're going to talk some about that and you know what you've learned in two years of doing this thing. But I uh, I got to start with that ACC conversation. Oregon State, Washington State. It looks to me, Tyson, like you know they are pre- planning to move forward as a group of four but also oregon state washington state looking at each other going hey we might be in this alone um there are some assets left in the pac-12 that they could that they might be interested in but at what point do you look at it and go hey you're just better off going to the mountain west
6: i mean uh, again people people haven't hired me for my uh, my money expertise quite yet but at, at this point like at this point, I feel like it makes a lot more sense for Oregon State and Washington State to try to make something to work out here. I mean, if you're already hearing Stanford and Cal and some of their athletes talking about what that travel schedule is going to be like, and, and those are for schools that, and specifically in Stanford's case, like don't have any financial worries to, to consider. And I, I just think the um, kind of the regionality of these two schools, like I, I, I just don't see an Oregon State, Washington State fan base like getting up for whatever is, is, is happening on that side. So good luck to Stanford, good luck to Cal if that happens. You know, who's in a really good spot. I'd like to have all that money that SMU does from all their, from all their,
1: boosters <laughs> to,
6: be able to, to be able to look at this thing and say like, Hey, we don't need any of that money for like the first seven years. We'll be fine or whatever. It's been reported. Um, that's, that's a school who's in a, a very unique position, especially when you compare them to uh, these two power five programs who uh, are, are still very much in limbo. And, you know especially reading your story that uh you just posted on your site like you, you really like to have this worked out by week one right you know it, it seems like every week we've been coming on here and saying that uh you know we'd love to talk about football and it's nice that this stuff's starting to get in the rear view but man it's it's been incredible just like how long this thing has lasted and it just it seems like especially in Oregon State and Washington State's case it, it's just so much of Having to wait until all the more high-profile schools get their ducks in a row.
1: Tyson Alger with us, I five corridor. How much do you think this is going to cloud the upcoming college football season?
6: Um, you know, I I don't think a ton, to be honest, uh, because I, I think the thing that we forget about is like the reason that there's so much hubbub about all this is like we all go pretty bonkers for football. Like once week one comes around here and we start having some good matchups and if if this Pac-12 season kind of lives up to the hype that we've all been hyping it up as, if, if you're able to get, you know, four or five teams that are, are contending for the conference title and you do get this play out of the quarterback class in the Pac-12, I, I think it will be pretty easy to at least compartmentalize and pretend like that all of this matters and it's the only thing that's happening. Um, obviously conference alignment feels like something that we're going to be living with for you know, every time the TV contracts come up uh, for the foreseeable future. But I'm I'm really, really, really banking that we might have some good football to kind of at least wash our mouths of this for a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, DJ Uyangalele gets named the starting quarterback at Oregon State. We'll get to Bo Nix in a second. But, um, you know, what's important for DJ in the early part of the season in your mind?
6: I think I think it's just to get a flow, to be effective, to just look like he's the leader of the team. I mean, as we saw with Oregon State last year, you don't need a guy to come in here and start throwing six touchdowns a game. Uh, Oregon State won 10 games last year without any semblance of a passing attack. So I just want to see a guy who has command of the offense, uh, who feels like he's getting kind of chemistry and, and reps with his teammates, who just looks confident out there. I, I, I think, you know, that's probably... One of the big the hardest things for a player to go through is when you come out as like a five star prospect who's the most hyped player in the country and then you struggle a little bit, especially with the spotlight that comes with you when you're at Clemson. I just wanna see him out there having fun and looking like he's that dude because everything on paper says he is that guy and, and if you've heard some of the chatter around Oregon State uh, this summer and, and this fall, like he's I I think he's gonna be a pretty darn good football player for them, John.
1: We're talking to Tyson Alger, I five corridor, Bo Nix, uh, on the billboards in New York City, in Dallas. I'm told there's more plans for more billboards that they will roll out. You uh, you had a chance to hear him in in a media scrum. You know, uh, is he talking about this stuff? Is he deflecting it? How's he handling the billboard? You know, Bo's
6: a really good guy for Oregon to build this around because he does have a lot of the same similar. Um, bashful or uh, humble or just kind of a lot of the same stuff that you associated with like Mariota and Herbert but Bo's also been a, a nationally known quarterback for four or five years like I, I think he knows how this game works and so yeah like at, he was deflecting a little bit today and saying that you know he's just trying to focus on the game and everything like he legit thinks this is cool like when they presented it to him um, uh, before they started putting it up he was just like heck yeah like Let's do it. So I, I think it's a, a, I think it's a really good combination of an athlete that kind of has that platform already, and then mixed with a little bit of Oregon's magic. And you know, I I think Bo is the type of player that can kind of handle this added. Um, this I don't know if it's pressure, but it's it's definitely hyped because outside of conference realignment, this has probably been the most discussed thing in college football for the last two weeks.
1: We got to talk about whether or not that billboard is a win. I think it's a win. The fact that we're talking about it is a win. But you got some people out on their front lawn who are saying, oh, these billboards don't matter, they don't sway Heisman votes, and I don't really even know if it's about a Heisman vote. I think it's it's about brand, it, it, it's about marketing.
6: I, I don't think it's... I mean, it coincides nicely because Bo Nix is in the Heisman race, but I, I think this has hardly anything to do with the actual Heisman campaign, especially as Oregon's entering the Big Ten, and they want to be seen on this level as... And Ohio States and Michigan's and and the rest of college football's elites. Like this is the one thing that Oregon is known for and that it does. And it it feels like it had the right opportunity to do this. And like, I don't know, it it seems odd to me that some of the older people in media are are calling this out and saying that it's out of touch when it, 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 worked for them back in with Joey Harrington. And I, I think the unveiling of this one, we're doing it in New York last week and then doing the Dallas one and just how unique the Dallas one was like, we're talking about it. Like we're talking about this almost as much as we're talking about realignment. I think that's a complete win. And I, I, I think the only way it goes sour is if Onyx comes out and has a terrible season.
1: Dan Lanning, Oregon coach, speaking to media after the scrimmage over the weekend.
7: Are there a few factors that you think kind of were really key for the defense being better early in the day than they were last Saturday?
3: They played better. I mean, I think that's the main factor.
4: In, in what ways? Like, can you get into specifics? Of-
3: well, when the yeah. offense doesn't get a first down, the defense stops them.
4: Okay.
3: Like, you guys are really digging in on this. Like, they played better at the beginning of this scrimmage. Is that something you challenge them to, to see them start on I mean, better. I challenge every one of our players to play better.
8: There, you noted four turnovers last week. You said there were a couple today. How many, yeah. how many were there today? I'm not telling you.
3: There were some turnovers.
1: Dan Lanning, a little bit testy with media members. Uh, give us your take on that, your read on that.
6: Yeah, like, I don't know. It's, it's hard coming on here and being the media member, being like, I don't like some of the ways that he answers questions, because if there's any people who are going to get zero sympathy from anybody, it's it's us people in the media. So I, I, I think Lanning has his approach in the way that he goes about things, and... Um, I understand it to an extent, uh, but that that went to see. I, I think Dan was having a bad day because it was like right out, right after the scrimmage ended, he had kind of set them up, which is like here's what happened at the scrimmage. And if he thinks asking how did the defense play better is really digging in on a question, I I really hope they don't lose many games this year because it's going to get a lot harder than
2: that.
1: Tyson, uh, you know your season, you will cover the Pac-12, your cover the I-5 corridor. Give us an idea of what we can expect coverage-wise in uh, what will be year number three of the I-5 corridor.
6: Yeah, you know, the the thing that I was really proud about with year two is anybody that's been subscribed, they know that kind of my bread and butter is with ducks, and it's it's about 60%, 70% ducks up on the corridor, but within this last year, we've been able to expand and include Linfield coverage, Portland State coverage, Preps coverage, Uh, We did some soccer. We did Timbers and Thorns. And and that's really what I want the corridor to eventually be is just something where people can open it up and have a pretty good read on what's going on in the state by reading good stories. And I I think that's the one thing that I've learned in these two years is there's still a very, very large appetite for well-told stories. And I I think between the success that I've had and the monster success that you've had, I, I think that we've really shown that. Uh, while it's definitely a changing medium, uh, I, I, I think we can find ways to still uh, excel and, and, and craft uh, quality work around it.
1: Yeah, and I think, too, to me it's fun to to know, like, you know, I don't know how much you're enjoying your comment section, but I, I know when I was at the paper I avoided it, and then they did away with it because it was a cesspool. And now I find the comment section on my own site and your site, like the comments to be, you know, it's, it's a good discussion and, and it's, it's what a comment section should be.
6: Exactly. And, and I think that's one of the, everyone talks about how things are worse these days, but I I think one of the cool things of evolving media is some of the kind of the guardrails that it's taken down between, you know, the writers and reporters and columnists and, and our readers. Like I, I think it's healthy to have a, a community where we're all interacting and I'm learning about what they want to read and they're learning about my type of interest and, and just I've generated a ton of stories just based off what people have suggested in the comments. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's blown me away. I I really can't believe I'm starting year three of this thing, but um, you know, I've I've had a ton of help from people, especially you and and providing this platform to let me come babble about things on, but uh, yeah, we're cooking, John.
1: All right, i5corridor.com, you want to subscribe and read Tyson Alder this season. Um, you know, week 1, were you will you be at Otsen? Will you be on the road with the Beavers? Where are you going week 1?
6: So, the we're going to have the corridor staff at Otsen for week 1. I I am a
1: groomsman in a
6: wedding week 1. I Whoa. I have a friend who does not respect the college football season. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're getting off on a, on a rough start week one, but I, I, think, yeah. I think the
1: Ducks will be all right without me. <laughs> I, think, I think you'll be fine there. All right, Tyson, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, thank you for bringing your expertise, and congrats on your two-year anniversary.
6: Hey, thanks a lot, John.
1: There he is, Tyson Alger, I-5 corridor. I agree with him. I think Dan Lanning was having a bad day that day. I also think he's sick of those questions about the defense. I also think this whole billboard thing, it's kind of annoying to me. I'll I'll give you a little secret. I'll I'll let you in on a little secret. You know, I saw the billboard, the Bonex billboard in Manhattan, and I thought, that is the most Oregon thing ever. That's going to work for Oregon. Not everyone could do it. You know, uh, Wyden & Kennedy, the advertising agency that is based in downtown Portland, uh, is behind the bodacious campaign, I am told. The second billboard popped up in downtown Dallas, I think it was yesterday or the day before, as they started putting it up. Two different buildings. has kind of a different look. I posted both of them at com. But I you know, immediately just kind of shook my head when I saw some people on social media and otherwise just sort of going, this doesn't work. This isn't good marketing. This isn't." I actually think the billboard business is doing pretty well. Like, drive around, look around. Billboards work. Billboards, uh, you know, the people see them, you know. And, but I also think from a football standpoint, that building in Manhattan, Oregon putting Bo Nix on that building, it's huge. It's, it's not about the Heisman. It's about Oregon. It's about, you know, hey, if you come to the University of Oregon and you rise above and you become a, a potential Heisman candidate, we could stick you on a billboard. It's a marketing campaign for the entire program, as much as Bo Nix is the face of it. You know, you've seen other ducks, including Joey Harrington and Keenan Howry. you have their moments um, where they get a billboard. Um, Justin Herbert didn't get a billboard, but he, he probably could have. Maybe he didn't want one. Who knows? We don't know. Like, you know, it was, it's, a big, it's a big deal for the program. And... You know, I reached out to who I, the guy that I think is the best designer of such things on planet Earth, uh, my buddy uh, Brian Capel of uh, Space Monkey Designs. And this morning, I reached out to Capel. You're going to like this, Steven. And I said, hey, could you design a billboard for DJU, a billboard for Cam Rising, a billboard for the Pac-12 refs? All kinds of billboards. Design them, and let's put them on prominent buildings across the country. So he's working on that project, and I'm going to publish it at johnconzano.com when he's done. But my creative juices got going, and I'm like, what what building would you put the Pac-12 refs on? You know, what building would you put Cam Rising, the Utah quarterback, on? How about Michael Penix Jr.? Like, you know, if we're being real, and everybody had an unlimited budget, and frankly, I'm told by Oregon that this Bo Nix campaign is not being paid for by Oregon. So this is either coming from Nike or Phil Knight, okay? So, and running through Wyden and Kennedy. So you have great advertising agency. You got it fueled by Nike and Phil Knight. And I think it's fun and it makes Oregon different. It's one of those things that sets Oregon apart. And frankly, if we want to be real, look at what's happening to Oregon State and Washington State today. And right now, in the last month, Ask yourself if it weren't for this kind of stuff that Phil Knight is doing, that Nike is doing, the brand of Oregon that has been created and, you know, it's been manufactured, it has separated from Oregon State, Washington State, and some others. Oregon would be in the same damn boat. We'd be talking today about, you know, the three or four Pacific Northwest schools that got left behind. It would be a very different conversation. I think today, and you know, I think anybody who knows the impact and the influence of Phil Knight understands that. Leave it here. Our big splash is ahead. Love the phone calls in the first segment of the show today. I'll say it again. I've said this numerous times before, but um, I think one of the things, one of the surprising things that I've learned in 17, going on 18 years of doing this show is that the callers will make me think about things. I had a couple callers made me think about things I hadn't considered before. You will uh, invite, uh, you're speaking for somebody, even if I don't agree with you, you'll invite uh, good discourse. Uh, and But the overall sentiment I got, and that I continue to hear, in the marketplace is that sports fans, college football fans, uh, don't, really love where it's all going even I think even fans of programs that have been included with the halves Georgia fans Ohio State fans Oregon and Washington fans USC and UCLA fans because I, I I think as much as you can look at the big 12 conference and you can say okay Arizona State Arizona Colorado and Utah ended up okay which they did you know they lived to play another day you know the big 12 the fate of the big 12 may be that it ends up, being part of the middle tier of college athletics when, you know, it's not going to catch the Big Ten or the uh, uh, SEC. It looks like the Big 12 and the ACC and maybe some leftover Pac-12 teams will probably exist in that middle tier. I don't know. All of it uh, really makes me miss the days where uh, we were able to tune in and hear Keith Jackson call a uh, Pac-12 Big Ten Rose Bowl. Uh, we've got some uh, we got some news. We'll do it as part of our Big Splash. Let's go.
4: This is
8: the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at
4: it. Where? Down there. The, the, the Big Splash.
1: Well, I'll lead with the 49ers. Sam Darnold has beat out Trey Lance for the backup quarterback position in San Francisco. ESPN reporting this, that the competition for the backup spot is over. Niners will roll with Darnold as the number two behind Brock Purdy. They're exploring some options with Trey Lance, who was the number three overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft. Uh, Lance was not in attendance at the start of Wednesday's practice. Uh, on Tuesday, Kyle Shanahan said he wasn't ready to announce his number two quarterback until sh- closer to the start of the regular season. Uh, now it appears as though the depth chart is taking shape. It'll be Brock Purdy. It'll be Sam Darnold. What do they do with Trey Lance? Steven, is there a market for Trey Lance? I don't think there is.
3: Uh, I mean, I, I feel like there's going to be a little market, but it's not going to be, you know, obviously not, not going to be a first round pick, not going to be a top five pick. It's going to be a team that isn't necessarily sold on their quarterback and they're like you know yeah, you know, we can we can give you like a you know fourth round pick fifth round pick and just take a shot on this guy um but no i don't think there's a huge mark and so i think that's going to be a problem is like the they, we don't know what Trey Lance can do like we've seen glimpses but it hasn't been great even when we've seen it so we really have no idea what this guy is so when you're you know if the 49ers do in fact trade him it's going to be for Minimal, you know, 50 cents on the dollar, 40 cents on the dollar of what you actually got, which is unfortunate for the Niners. But at the same time, it's the right decision to have Sam Darnold as your backup quarterback because you know what that guy can do. And you saw last season with Brock Purdy, with Jimmy Garoppolo, and you've seen in the past with Nick Mullins, even guys like that. Kyle Shanahan can get these guys going. So, You just need a guy who's steady and consistent. That's what Sam Darnold is. Trey Lance, so up and down. We have no idea what that guy is. I I feel like there's going to be a little market, but it's going to be a bad team and a bad situation for Trey Lance as well. It's going to be tough for him just to get on the field.
1: It's one of these things that I see good franchises, good entities that win. What I mean is successful, not just good, but successful entities make mistakes. So do franchises that struggle. Everybody makes mistakes. These GMs, even at the top of the NFL, will misfire. The difference is the GMs and the teams that are at the top of the NFL year in and year out, when they misfire, they very quickly course correct. I'll be really interested to see if the 49ers linger in this Trey Lance misfire and let it kind of uh, hang around because it was a draft pick, Yeah, And John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan badly wanted Trey Lance in the 2021 draft. They went up and got him. Meanwhile, they're starting the guy who was the last pick in the draft, Brock Purdy. So I'll be curious to see how they handle this mistake. And, you know, it's a great example is, you know, we've watched franchises like the Patriots with Bill Belichick. They just don't let they don't let stuff linger. They don't let it—you make mistakes, they don't let it linger. They just course-correct.
3: Do you think it causes any type of tension in the locker room, knowing that he's still on the team and he was the third pick in the draft and they haven't done anything with him?
1: It just—it creates a distraction. It's a media distraction. It's a fan distraction. It's a distraction in the room. You know, it's Lance—you know, you you ideally don't want your number 3 pick to be your number 3 quarterback. Like, you know, they took him third overall in the draft. So I think— It'll be interesting to see if they can get over the ego and the mistake of misfiring on the pick and course correct. If they can't, I think it will be a distraction because Kyle Shanahan will get asked about it throughout the season. Uh, I want you to leave it here. 4 o'clock hours coming up. Anna will join for the 5 o'clock hour as well. I was messaging during the commercial break with uh, John Papadakis. Petros Papadakis, his father. Papadakis' father? Papadakis' father. Papadakai. I, <laughs> uh, I just. Uh, I I love that guy. He sent me a video. He's of himself. Yeah, he's in his seventies or eighties. Loves some Tony Bennett. We've had him on the show. Former USC football player in his in his heyday, and his son Petros uh, now uh, a broadcaster on FS1. But uh, John Papadakis, remember when he came on the show and he did a little crooning for us?
4: Oh, the good life full of fun seems to be the ideal. I can sing. <laughs> I
1: love it. I love it. Yeah, I like, I, people say, gee, you sound like Tony Bennett. And I say, does he sound like me? Tony Bennett. John Papadakis has got a concert coming up in Southern California, and I said, you should come on our show and promote it. Because we're huge in Southern California. I just want to talk to him. I want to talk to him about what he thinks about what's happening in the uh, conference that he used to play in back in the day. It was probably the Pac-8, probably, when he was part of it. Pac-10, maybe. Alas, he had another interview to do at 4 o'clock on short notice. So... We'll get him on soon, but I was efforting him during the commercial break, and he was like, I don't know, I have another. I said, no, we need a a commitment. We're not like Oregon State and Washington State sitting around waiting for Stanford and Cal to figure out if they're going to go to the ACC or not. We need a commitment from you, or we move on. Do you think at some point, because I am told that they are looking for clarity before they kick off their Week 1 football game, okay? So... There's like 10 days maximum that they could leave this lingering. I actually think it's going to get settled here in the next 24 to 48. Like Stanford either goes to the ACC or it doesn't. But let me just go around the room, guys. If you're reading the tea leaves, it looks and feels to me like Stanford and Cal and SMU are really pursuing membership in the ACC. That they're really going all in, going, we'll take less money. We'll take no money in SMU's case donors are going to just basically line the uh, and, and fundraise and subsidize the the effort to get into a power 5. They want so badly to be in a power 5 conference that they're willing to come in for free so that they can be with, you know, what they perceive to be the haves, but it's the ACC haves, not the have-nots where they are in the All-American Conference, the American Athletic Conference rather. Let me ask you guys, do you think Stanford and Cal and SMU get into the ACC or not?
3: Um, I think that they do. I think that they do. Um, I know that Florida State is not happy in the ACC and it seems like Clemson as well doesn't seem like they're the happiest in the ACC but there does have to be some type of, uh, I think, East Coast representation and so I think that that the ACC kind of will always be there. And eventually, you know, we are going to go to, you know, whether it's three conferences or even less for college football. So I I think that they realize they got to just stay relevant at this point. It's kind of like we've talked about with Oregon State, like just just try to stay relevant as long as you can. And I think that's kind of what the ACC is going to come to the realization is, is, you know, what we're going to have to add teams to stay relevant. And so I think adding Stanford and Cal and even SMU, who's willing to join the conference and just pay all this money, it doesn't matter. They don't care. They just they don't want to be left behind as well. I, I think it does actually benefit them, and they'll, they'll realize that Stanford and Cal SMU will uh, get in the ACC.
0: Judah, do they get in or not? I think they do. I think is, would that be the most outrageous, though, of all the realignment, geographical predicaments? the the non-football travel for stanford cal to acc country because my hope would be that this would be the last straw on the camel's back and the current format would have no other choice but to self-implode hmm.
1: so you're looking for the uh the the you know the straw that breaks breaks the camel's back so to speak
0: that is what i'm looking for and so i think it's imminent That Stanford, well, I don't know if it's imminent, but I I do think Stanford and Cal make it to the ACC, and my hope would be that that would be the last thing that everybody would be like, this is ridiculous, and and we get massive, massive, you know, reformation, which is what we need at this point. It's not really what we wanted five years ago, but I think it's what we need at this point for it to all make sense.
1: I also think there's, you know, it it feels to me like whoever it is, you know, they're looking for that 12th vote. They have 11 yes votes. They're looking for number 12. You know, we heard we played the comments on yesterday's show from the uh soccer coach at North Carolina who I actually see the logic in what he's saying. You know, he basically is coming out saying, "Hey, it doesn't help us." You know, he's won like 22 championships at North Carolina. He's you know, he's a dominant coach. Yeah, uh, we're talking about Anson Dorrance, who is the coach at North Carolina
2: in women's soccer. Well, I appreciate you allowing me to speak on this because I know our conference commissioner's in favor of this because I read a a statement that he made where he thought this would be a good idea. Because obviously these are phenomenal schools academically. Uh, But also they have great sports programs. If you look at the Director's Cup, Stanford dominates it. So you're bringing in a truly elite combination of academics and athletics with those two schools. But Stanford, extraordinarily, I mean, they're on the top of everyone's academic list and also very high with almost every sports team on campus being in a position to challenge for a national championship. So that would be a wonderful, you know, I guess a uh, feather in the cap of our commissioner. But for us, you know, uh, with boots on the ground, now nah, uh, this is gonna be horrible for us because then of course our budgets aren't extraordinary as it is. And now we would try to add in, you know, flights across the country to play these two schools Uh, Which will be incredibly expensive and then the fact that uh, um, now we're exposing the whole country Not that Stanford and Cal don't have a national recruiting platform. Of course they do But if you put those two schools in the ACC, it's going to be so easy for them to recruit nationally So it'll just benefit them in my opinion not us We've built the best uh, women's soccer conference in the country and there's no way I want to share the glory of our conference with two schools that could do a very good job recruiting against us. And so basically I want Cal and Stanford to die on the vine. I look forward to you know seeing Stanford, which is a very difficult school to recruit against. I would look forward to them basically having it be so difficult for them to recruit the elite soccer player. And then we would be in a position to obviously gain those kids and you know put the ACC in an even stronger position. So I think uh, in some respects I can see why Um, Jim is interested in this you know as our commissioner of of the ACC but for us that you know have to basically do the the work and have to pay for it no and these are schools that you know yep they're in trouble they're in trouble it's going to be harder and harder and harder for them to recruit and that means that benefits the rest of us in the ACC
1: Interesting comments from North Carolina's women's soccer coach I think he's telling the truth I think that Part of what he said is really harsh. I think as you look at Stanford and Cal and how eager they are to get into the ACC, it does help paint a picture for Oregon State and Washington State of how dire things must feel for the Beavers and the Cougars. Um, and, you know, I, I got to think that Oregon State and Washington State are putting on their oxygen mask and going, look, in the event that Stanford and Cal do get into the ACC, we have to be ready to pivot into, uh, you know, becoming, you know, the Pac-12 Conference in name only but taking on a bunch of Mountain West Conference schools and or uh, American Athletic Conference schools or have to be ready to go to the Mountain West and just say, look, the short-term answer is to try to compete in the Mountain West and, and win the Mountain West and get to the playoff. And, you know, for Oregon fans who are watching this, I even wonder, like, from the Oregon standpoint, because as a media member, like, like, literally, I, I, by definition, don't have a dog in the fight here. I am heartbroken for my childhood in watching the Pac-10 conference as a kid and watching that thing become no more. But you're not bringing it back by trying to rebuild four schools into the Pac-12. And so I'm left going, hey, if I put myself in the shoes of, I play that game. So if I put myself in the shoes of Stanford... I understand why Stanford wants to get to the ACC. It's, it's a safety net for two or three years until they can figure out what happens in the next round of expansion. There must be zero appetite from the Big Ten Conference at this point for Stanford. There just has to be. And it kind of tells you, like Chris Hill said, the, the Utah AD, it tells you, hey, you know, this is part of what's wrong with college athletics, that one of the finest academic institutions in the country, number three rated school overall, um, Stanford. is is got no home in realignment and may have to go back to the Pac-4 and rebuild. Simultaneously, if I put myself in the shoes of North Carolina or North Carolina State or an ACC member, I'm going, hey, this is cool. You get one of the great academic brands in the conference. It adds some more money into the pot, but what about the travel expenses? What about the stress it places on non-revenue-generating sports? And, oh, by the way, what happens when Florida State gets really unhappy and this conference absolutely implodes like the Pac-12 did? Um, there's, it, it's fraught with risk on behalf of the members themselves, and so it's, it's the only thing that gives me pause in saying this is going to happen. The fact that it hasn't happened, the fact that Stanford hasn't had, you know, the votes haven't been there that they didn't vote today they must not have the votes so i'm sitting here going is anything going to change the mind of north carolina north carolina state and certainly when that coach speaks i get a taste of how different that is and you know how they're thinking about it you know he doesn't want to recruit against stanford doesn't want to drag his team across the country to play a game and i have to wonder where's tara vanderveer on all this the stanford women's basketball coach she's one of those superstar coaches who could speak out and could use her voice and could use her platform to say hey this is wrong here's what's wrong like stanford's not going to fire her for speaking out but i have to think she's heartbroken lamenting the loss of the pac12 pac12 was a hell of a women's basketball conference it should still be a women's basketball conference do
3: you, you know, i i got i got a question for you real quick though about the voting in the acc sorry john um yeah go ahead just cuz the acc it requires 12 of 15 yeses to get new members in but they also include notre dame Why would they include Notre Dame when they're not even in the football conference and this is all about football realignment? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me on any type of level. Like, it just – this whole realignment thing has just been so crazy as it is. But now it's like Stanford and Cal, they are trying to get to a conference where Notre Dame votes, but they don't actually play football in that conference. They also play hockey in the Big Ten. So, like – why? Why does Notre Dame get a vote in this? In all yeah.
1: of this? So, for people who don't know, Notre Dame is technically in the ACC for all sports except football and ice hockey. They negotiated that in their contract, and then their sports have merged into the conference. That contract expires in twenty thirty six. Now, there's a caveat: the the Irish are independent, but they have to play five ACC teams in their football schedule. So they, they do have kind of a loose partnership there with the ACC and football, despite not being a member. But, it, you know, they are, you know, hanging out there, probably always going to be independent. They don't need the Big Ten. But you have these votes, and, you know, Notre Dame wants Stanford and Cal added to the conference. But Notre Dame's going, hey, um, you know, we still want to be independent. But, I, you know, they get a voice in this because they have all those other sports that would have to be traveling out to California to play Stanford, to play Cal, to take those games. And, you know, right now it's Clemson, Florida State, who are opposed to adding Stanford and Cal, North Carolina and North Carolina State. But I think the Clemson and Florida State vote is a different no vote than North Carolina and North Carolina State. Clemson and Florida State are going, there's not enough money here for us. We would like this conference to implode and go away so we can start over. Would you you kind of
3: relate that to Oregon, Washington, and the Pac-12, how they basically held the balance of the
1: conference? Yeah, there's just a different – it's a no vote, but it's a different no because you heard the no from North Carolina's soccer coach. He's saying, we don't want them in the conference. It doesn't help us. It causes extra travel. I have to recruit against them. You know, it's a very logical no, and North Carolina State is on board with North Carolina. Clemson and Florida are going, hey, this media deal that we have that runs through 2036 is garbage. We don't want to do anything that, that sort of, uh, you know, affirms that we are part of the conference, because I think legally Clemson and Florida State are looking for an out, and they may exercise an out at some point. They may try legally to... Leave the conference to, uh, you know, to peel their rights away. They may try to s- litigate. They, and so I think Clemson and Florida State are really eager right now to not have uh, to not have this be like sort of an affirmation that the ACC is doing something right. But what the ACC is trying to do is they're trying to use that seventy-two million dollars that would be added with the three schools coming in to create this pot of fifty-five million, and they're going to go, hey, if you win the conference championship in football, you get an extra you know, maybe you get an extra 10 or $20 million. And, and it, you know, it helps sweeten the spot, the the, uh, the the pot, so to speak. And, you know, you sprinkle that money over the contenders, Florida State and Clemson. But I think Florida State and Clemson are playing a long game here, taking a 20-year view instead of a two-year view. And I think the more likely flip, even though this seems to be about money, is is the North Carolina State vote. Like, would North Carolina State vote in conjunction with North Carolina ever forever and always or would they flip? I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's really interesting to kind of watch this all play out and to see what happens. And uh amid all this, you got Notre Dame's athletic director, Jack Swarbrick, going on the Dan Patrick show, basically blowing up everybody.
8: What would you have to hear to join a conference?
7: Um that we didn't have a media partner, uh, that we didn't have a fair path to the college football playoff.
8: If the NBC media plan was not there, would Notre Dame be in a conference?
7: Yeah. If we didn't have somebody else who was willing to step up, yes.
8: Okay. And would that be the Big Ten?
7: I don't know. Uh, it would be interesting to have that discussion with, with each of the available conferences. Do you haven't
8: had those discussions
7: before? We've had lots of... Uh, Inquiries, we've never negotiated for participation.
8: How does that work when there's inquiries? What happens?
7: Um, Usually it's a president-to-president call, uh, where someone from a conference, a president from a conference is assigned to call, in this case Father Jenkins, and say, maybe are you considering a different path? And we say no.
8: And then it gets down to you. Are, are you involved in the, the process after that? Yeah. With the phone call? I yeah, yeah. typically am. Yeah. What's the closest Notre Dame's ever come to joining a conference?
7: Um, you know, I don't know that it was particularly close, but if we hadn't been able to find a home for our Olympic sports with the ACC, maintaining football independence would have been problematic. We needed a partner who would, uh, who, who would allow our Olympic sports to participate at the level we want them to. And it
8: I, I guess it's not as lucrative having your own you know TV network, but joining the ACC, you're there with other sports. Uh, you do play some ACC schools, but is that a possibility down the road?
7: Well, all the major conferences are a possibility. Okay. Um, we play hockey in the Big Ten, we have the other Olympic sports in the ACC, and football's independent.
1: There's Jack Swarbrick, who, uh, you know, is running the show at Notre Dame, the athletic director there. Um, Look, I think you get a picture of, you know, Notre Dame being in a position where as long as it has a TV partner, not just NBC. I mean, he's kind of leaving the door open, like someday it could be Apple. Someday it could be, uh, you know, it could be ESPN. It could be someone else. But Notre Dame, as long as it has access to the playoff, as long as it has its own media rights deal – And as long as it has the ability to place its non-revenue-generating sports in another conference, it's fine being an independent. I just wonder, could the rest of college athletics learn from Notre Dame?
3: Is there a potential that Notre Dame gets left behind?
1: I don't think so. I I think they're too big of a brand. I think if if, if their nightmare scenario would be NBC going, hey, we don't have the money anymore, you don't have a media deal, and nobody else stepping up. And in that scenario, I think the Big Ten's got its arms wide open saying, come on in, Notre Dame, we'll take you and uh, we'll kick out Rutgers or we'll kick out Indiana and Notre Dame, come on in. You know, and I, think, I think Notre Dame will always have a home in major college football. And I think if the Power Five conferences or the Power Four-to-Be want to squeeze Notre Dame, what they will do is they'll start squeezing their access to the playoff and then say, well, what will they do when we take away their access to the playoff? They have no ability to get to the playoff. They'll have to join a conference. But, but back to my point, like could the rest of college athletics, in the name of Chip Kelly, just learn something from Notre Dame? It left its non-revenue generating sports participating in the ACC, where the travel isn't outrageous. I mean, it's not ideal to get from South Bend, Indiana, to Clemson or Florida State, but it's not outrageous. It becomes a little outrageous if you're flying out to the Bay Area to play Stanford and Cal, but... Notre Dame left its sports in that footprint of the country, and then said to football, "We're going to play everywhere else, and we'll play no, we'll play USC and we'll play Stanford regularly, and we'll play five games in the ACC, and uh, everybody's happy there." But could college football learn something? Could the universities learn something? But it's basically what Chris Hill, the Utah AD, suggested, you know, and and talking on this radio show that. Hey, the re- the other sports, the non-revenue-generating sports, should be in a regional conference. I think it makes sense. I want you to leave it here. Anna's going to pop into the studio. We have so much more ahead on the BFT. Pandemic hit. What did we do? We started watching documentaries. We started watching Netflix. We started watching uh, Michael Jordan and The Last Dance. And uh, we started watching uh, the, uh, the Tiger documentary. What was that documentary called on... Uh, about the, the Tiger King. That guy became a big deal during the pandemic. Tiger King. Remember when uh, the, the lady in the Tiger King, I uh, can't remember her name. Anna, what was the lady's name? Carol Baskin. Carol Baskin. Remember when her husband showed up and nobody, it didn't make news? Remember, because mm-hmm. the, the thought in the documentary was that she had fed him to the tigers.
9: Right. Well, that's what the documentary wanted everyone to think, yes.
1: I thought for sure. The yeah. tigers were licking their lips when she was. They were <laughs> talking about it, uh, it but Carol Baskin's husband apparently showed up. Yeah, alive and well. Alive and well. Uh, <clears throat> Netflix has got uh, a series of sports documentaries that have come out. One featuring uh, Johnny Manziel. Uh, another just released this week on the Untold series, the Swamp Kings Florida football documentary. Netflix puts this thing out, um, like a lot of documentaries. Anna, I'm going to have you get into this, how this works, because you've made documentaries. Like a lot of documentaries, they trade access for favorable coverage.
9: Absolutely.
1: Okay? This one, they got footage from the University of Florida. Okay. That shows behind-the-scenes footage, a lot of uh, Urban Meyer, a lot of Tim Tebow, uh, some uh, Aaron Hernandez. You had the Pouncey brothers that were part of that that time, the twins. Um, there was all kinds, there was arrests, there were confrontations, um, there were a lot of things that never showed up in the documentary, or barely showed up in this documentary, and Urban Meyer is not portrayed, I don't think accurately, a lot of people criticizing Netflix for this, Mm -hmm. um, very little, uh, on the Aaron Hernandez front, um, nothing, hardly anything about the Pouncey Twins, um... Percy Harvin attacking his position coach, not featured, omitted from the documentary. Uh, The arrest of Carlos Dunlap before the SEC title game, omitted. Um, Urban Meyer going to the hospital with chest pains, not there. Um, Urban Meyer having a confrontation with ESPN's Jeremy Fowler at practice, not part of the documentary. Like, a lot of things, a lot of people really disappointed that the documentary appeared to kind of gloss over the problems of Florida, Netflix is saying in a statement that they didn't want those things to overshadow the story of Florida football. (laughs) Okay. Help people understand when when you see a documentary.
9: I think when people hear the word documentary, they associate it more with, like, a, a work of nonfiction. Okay. And... <clears throat> they tend to give it more credibility than it deserves. Um, especially in recent years, what we've seen, and I want to put documentary in air quotes, what it has evolved into. Because I think the documentary of yesteryear, like if you think about Ken Burns, you know, and his historical documentary pieces, but even his pieces, they have a point of view it's not like if you're watching a documentary it's going to be this objective recollection of something that happened it almost always has a point of view so you have to go into it still with a cynical mind asking yourself what are the producers trying to get across you know and like you mentioned they exchange access for favorable coverage and in this case they can leave out 80% of the story because it doesn't fit the storyline that they're trying to tell in the documentary.
1: But how does that go? Is there a negotiation between Florida, Urban Meyer, maybe some parties yeah, that have absolutely. footage where they go, okay, like you were talking about the Colorado documentary. Yes. With, a, with Amazon and Coach Prime being yeah. involved in Colorado, and you pointed out that Colorado had the right to request changes.
9: Colorado's in a bad bad situation, in my opinion, with that documentary and Coach Prime, because they're not in a position of editorial control over the tale that will be told, according to Coach Prime and his team. And so that's problematic. And yeah, absolutely. You know, there there there's a lot of voices in the room. There's a couple people that are going to pay big money for a, for a documentary. And guess what? A lot of the cost of a documentary is acquiring the actual footage that goes into it, believe it or not. Like, entities charge hundreds or thousands of dollars per second of, or per frame of video for key footage, highlights, newsreels, whatever they might be, if, you know, the documentary wants to use that footage, there's a huge cost there that can be bartered out if the producers of the documentary make certain concessions about how certain aspects of history, near and far, will be portrayed.
1: The Last Dance documentary had a trailer in which Michael Jordan took offense to the comparisons with Clyde Drexler.
6: Clyde the
8: Glide says we're the two best in the game, but I'm not getting into a war of words with Mike.
4: Clyde was a threat. You know, I'm not saying he wasn't a threat. But me being compared to him, I I took offense to that. I'm working for NBC.
8: I'm covering the finals. So the night before game one, we had Michael's house playing cards. And he said, you know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm going to give it to this dude. So he hit that first three. And then here come the second one. Michael didn't want anybody to have nothing over him.
1: All right, there it is. There's the trailer. It was clearly the Michael Jordan version. And it works because he's the greatest player who ever played. Like, So it's not that big of a leap to say, hey, this is told from his perspective, greatest player who's ever played, here's some footage nobody's ever seen. But did, did that documentary, The Last Dance, lower the bar for the rest of the sports documentary industry? Did it open the door, I mean, to, for, for like Florida and for Johnny Manziel and to say, hey, tell the story, but don't talk about <laughs> substance abuse, don't talk about mental health, just talk about me.
9: I don't know i feel like there were moments in the jordan documentary that rung authentic you know because what you're looking for in a documentary is something that goes beyond propaganda because i i think as viewers as consumers now we have a sense of when we're being sold a story that isn't true when you're leaving way too much out that would be you know in conflict um, and doesn't serve the people who produced it, then then yeah, it is on all of us to cry foul. I feel like Jordan's documentary; it wasn't all clean and tidy. I think there were aspects of it that were a little bit messy, because we all know life is messy. Life isn't all pretty and wrapped yeah. in a bow.
1: But there's there's winners and losers in every documentary. Like Carol Baskin, she wasn't a winner, you know. Joe Tiger, or whatever his name was, in The Tiger King. He, he wasn't a winner. Joe Exotic. You know, get it right. Come Joe on. Exotic, sorry. <laughs> Joe he Tiger. Just throws Tiger out Joe there. Joe Exotic. <laughs> it, nothing says pandemic like Joe Exotic.
9: I don't know. I started to see a lot of mullets after that documentary came out, so I think he won in one sense. You think he won? Yeah. Okay, all right. No, but like to, to your point, though, like... The producers of that documentary leaned so hard into the idea that her husband was dead. It was almost like they, they pitched everything toward that direction, and yet he's alive and well, right? Swamp
1: Kings on Netflix. I'm going to read some tweets that people who watched the series tweeted. Quote, that's two untold docs this season, Johnny Manziel being the other, that felt more like promotional vehicles than documentaries. Another one. For a documentary series called Untold, there sure aren't any new revelations in this Florida documentary. I get, I feel duped for getting excited about it. Love the Swap Kings documentary, but man, how do you tell the story of Florida without hearing from Percy Harvin and the Pouncey Twins? Four episodes? They left so much out. Another tweet. Untold on the Gators was a disappointment. It was more about Urban Meyer and on the field when the interesting stuff was definitely in dealing with off the field. That could have been its own hour. Anna? Yeah? When you're telling a documentary and you have some behind-the-scenes footage, that's the documentary. It's the behind-the-scenes stuff. Nobody wants to see the game footage.
9: Yeah, yeah. And it's not even just behind-the-scenes stuff. It's, I mean, the, the it's called Untold, right? And I, I think it's just, it's become really... In fashion right now for everybody to release a documentary that it's like writing your own autobiography um, and leaving all all the messy stuff out we've seen obviously years and years of that in written form but now because people are consuming video and streaming at such a high rate everyone's doing it. you saw j lo come out with a yeah. documentary i didn 't even bother to watch it because it 's not that I have anything against jlo I think she 's great. She's what do you beautiful. have against jlo she's super talented would love to you know age like she does. but I know in watching a j lo produced documentary about j lo i 'm not going to get anything that's real you know it's like watching reality TV as told by the Kardashians who are executive producers of the Kardashian show like at least the Kardashians have figured out the recipe which is you need the appearance of conflict and dark moments where people aren't being their best selves and even then it's just scripted for the show but at least they have figured out that quotient which makes their show a little more digestible for the masses.
1: Wasn't it poor form of J Lo though to to, you know, to speak out about having to share the stage at the Super Bowl with Shakira? Yeah, you know, that was poor form.
9: Oh, did that come out in the documentary? No, that was like one of it didn't. Uh, but oh, no. I,
1: but I'm just thinking. You said you don't want to criticize J Lo. I'm going to criticize her.
9: Oh, uh, doesn't
1: she deserve some criticism for that?
9: Oh, she has a right to feel that way. Mm. Why?
1: You're on the stage at the Super Bowl. Yeah. By the way,
9: but, but, but her point was like. Prince didn't have to share the stage with anybody. She was naming off other well, big-time big performers.
1: Enough. Maybe she's not a big enough performer. Like, hey, I'll tell you who it's big right now. What? There's two who? things. Two what? things are just
9: massive oh, yeah. right
3: now. I can't, wait to, hit, I can't I wait to hear what John says is big now.
9: Yeah, edge of my I'm seat, Stephen. Edge of my seat. I'm writing it down. I got no yeah. There are
1: mm-hmm. two things that have exploded and are on a level, I think, that in within their genre and outside of their genre are unmatched right now. He's
9: building it up. Is he going to go to break here?
1: You want me to? Is this a
9: tease? It feels like a tease. The Two things. What say you, Stephen?
1: There are two things that are bigger (laughs) that transcend to the point, Anna, where your 77-year-old father, if I mentioned it to him, (laughs) he would look at me and he would nod and go, yep, I know what you're talking about.
9: Okay, Stephen. Okay. You ready for this? After
1: the break. This build up. Oh. I see? give you my two things that transcend all. <laughs> Stay tuned. It's be
7: good.
1: Well, uh, I uh, told you before the break I was gonna tell you the two biggest things that have blown up. Two things that transcend all. Two individuals who have, I think, have elevated to another stratosphere. You know? It's um it, it It's like uh, watching an astronaut go to the moon type elevation.
9: Wow, you're really building All right? this up. The two things this are what? Good. The
1: fact that I, do, yeah, I don't even think I need to say what they
9: are. No, you asked I think do. people know. No, I don't think they do. Th- Stephen, do you know? I have no idea what he's talking about. Uh, I bet
1: Stephen knows. No. I have no idea. Stephen knows. Should I know? It, it, you- I think you guys are both playing here. No i think you're pretending no, not we're to not, know
9: we're not I, playing I, I, dumb explain
3: to me exactly what i what we're what you're gonna say here the two things of what well
1: we you were can't. talking about no we were talking about kind of things that have blown up people that have become a big deal I, j-lo okay. being not big right. enough for that stage i think and, number
3: one number one's got to be the tiktok
1: <sighs> no oh, well there you, you go. have no that, no that right. you're not playing
0: I'm Jesus, <laughs> girls, and Marcus Mariota.
1: Okay. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Dude, you charming. remember when that kid did that? That, that was, was, was so map. charming. That uh, was Oh, sweet. do you remember that kid? I do.
9: Charlie.
0: Pepe, right? Is he a yeah. kid? Good memory.
1: You gotta yeah. have some uh, you gotta have some connection to like a major donor at Oregon to get into that news conference.
5: Do you know anything about Marcus Mariota if he's staying or leaving? (laughs) I mean I mean that's like the talk around school. Is he staying or is he leaving?
2: What what is the talk around school? What what are you guys how have you broken it down? What do you think he'll do?
5: Well there's three things that go on at O'Hara Catholic or four. Okay. There's Jesus, there's girls. And there's Marcus Mariota.
4: <laughs> wow. Sorry,
6: sorry. I'm so sorry.
2: <laughs> no, hey, this is the best. This is the best question. All and, and I think everyone would agree on that. Correct? Yeah. So Jesus, girls, and Marcus Mariota. <laughs> uh, we've got a poster in the works. I think though, too. Uh, I have no idea, but I know that he is he. If he went to O'Hara. He would be a great student and a great person, and and somebody that everybody could look up to.
1: There's a great moment in Oregon sports history. Was that Helfrich? Mar- Mark Helfrich.
9: Okay, I thought so.
1: That, he needed to be that way more often. I think.
9: Yeah, that was one of his most charming moments.
1: I think if Helfrich had just relaxed, if I I, I honestly think Anna, if you had given media training to Mark Helfrich, <laughs> he would still be the coach at Oregon. <laughs> I, he uh, just needed to think, relax. Yeah. He needed to be more relatable. He had the brains. He obviously could develop, you know, a QB. He needed some media training.
9: Yeah. Hmm. All right. Here
1: are my two things
9: okay. that have blown up. Okay.
1: I think Taylor Swift has gone to another stratosphere. <laughs> what? Has she, she not? Big?
9: She was already used.
1: No, 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 no. She is elevated to the point where she's too big for the Super Bowl. They invited her to do the Super Bowl halftime show, and she said no. She turned them down.
9: Didn't need them.
1: Don't need you. I'm touring. I'm giving hundred grand bonuses to the truck drivers on the tour. I'm too big for the Super Bowl. Credit she, to the
9: publicist, by the way, yeah. for that little leak.
1: But has she not elevated her game? Like she was a star before, but now she is the star of stars. Like there's no musical performance that. Okay, People fine. are lining up to pay that kind of money to see true. all over the world. They're flying to other countries
9: and stuff she, yeah. to see her. You know?
1: She added a date on Mars, it would sell out. I mean, it, it's that's how big Taylor Swift is.
3: The Super Bowl's hey. going to play at the halftime of Taylor Swift's concert?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. I, that's
9: a good you one. You should
1: tweet that. This okay, just in. We'll give you that the one, sources. but
9: it is kind of funny that you made us wait for that as one of Okay, but answers.
1: that is huge. She is elevated. That's what I said. I said there are two... People who have elevated their profile to another stratosphere. Taylor Swift has done it.
9: Okay, but part of the reason that she's... Too big to fail. (laughs) Like Bank of America? Um, (laughs) Part of the reason she's so big right now is because she's capturing multiple generations. I mean, there's, there's people, primarily women, between the ages of like 10 and 50 or 60... That love her music like she's been creating music for long enough that, you know, she's like the Lululemon of uh, of of musical stars right now.
3: Yeah, like my cousin, she's older than she's like thirty eight. She went yeah. to the show along with my other cousin who just turned twenty one. Like those are right. two, you know, two so different got layers. Yeah, layers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, layers. you have
9: what you have is a wide market of people who will download your songs, buy your merchandise, and pay out the nose to go see you live in performance even it's if it's from a nosebleed.
1: But it's why these concerts come back around like the 80s, you know, musical acts or hip hop acts that tour. Yeah. And Salt and Pepper come back around, you know, people will go 80s and 90s, people will go see it because sure. they remember it as part of their childhood. Yeah. But people who remember Taylor Swift as part of their childhood are also alongside parents who I go? I like her music too. Right. So she's got a fat demo. Yes, not fat people. Yeah, fat, don't at P-H-A-T. me.
9: Phat. She
1: has a large demographic. Fat demo. Uh-huh. She has a large demographic, yeah. and it's kind of what it's brilliant. It's kind of what professional sports aim to do with, you know, their viewership habits. Like the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL. They want young and old. They yeah. want you know different culture, different socioeconomic background, different geography. It's uh, part of what's driven realignment in, you know, the Big Ten Conference whatnot. They wanted Los Angeles, all right? The the Big Ten Conference having part of Los Angeles was never in the, you know, never in the plan back in the day. But they've said, hey, we need to to layer our demographic. We want later kickoff times in the Pacific time zone. So we're not just relegated to having games that end, you know, at like 5 o'clock Pacific time. We want to be on at night. So they go out and they grab some Pacific time zone, you know, markets, and they start Mm -hmm. to layer there. But, you know, Major League Baseball has been long, for a long time. The the strive there has been to to add uh, younger people to the
9: demographic. Who's doing it best? Like, (laughs) Us Weekly. Who were it best? Who's doing it best and who's doing it worst? Capturing the next generation of fans and viewers and Um, and fandom.
1: I, I would say NFL is one
9: yeah I would agree. Who's I would too. I think the, I, I think the NBA is bottom.
1: I think the college football is probably in the number two position, okay, right over now. baseball right now then I Steven, think, you agree? I actually would put the NBA I don't know i b- before the last two years, I would have put the NBA in front of Major League Baseball. Yeah, but I think baseball has done some things in speeding up the games, and I saw some uh, research on the average age of the viewer of a baseball game. Okay. It had it's skewing younger. Okay. So they're, they're being successful in what they're trying to do. But I still think the NBA has broad appeal, and I think the NBA did a lot of things right
9: mm-hmm. in
1: negotiating its TV deal and, you know, in growing as a league in the last decade. So I, I put the NBA in front of Major League Baseball right now. But okay. why do you think the NBA is in last place?
9: I don't know. Maybe I'm skewed because uh, I'm a Blazers fan. Maybe that's why.
1: The Blazers are in last. I,
3: I would say the NBA does a great job because they're very active on, like, social media and stuff like that. and, uh, and their And their game really formats perfect for social media of just highlights, right? Like, you can just yeah. show people dunking or doing a cool dribble. You're like, oh, look at that guy. When in actuality, that player is not very good. But, you know, it has a cool highlight, and so everyone loves it. Yeah,
9: you know, that's a great point, because the NBA, even, even kind of the stuff that the Blazers did last year with the team walk-ups and, like, the fashion show, the extreme slow-motion fashion show, it got tired after about the third time I saw it. Yeah, but too much. the first time I saw it, I thought, oh, that's a little different. I like that. And some of the, some of the things that they're doing at practice – where they're sticking a question on a placard under a camera and just having the players walk into practice and answer the question. It's it's cool. I don't. You're right, Stephen. I don't see much of anything on social media from Major League Baseball. Hey, John, There's did you hear that? An-
3: Anna said I'm right. I've never heard her say that to you.
1: There you go. Winner, <laughs> winner.
3: Uh, can I guess she
9: your
1: other... still has not can... acknowledged that Taylor Swift, neither one of you acknowledged that I'm right, that Taylor Swift has elevated her game. Can I guess your other person then? Yeah. Coach Prime? No. No. Oh. Coach Prime's always been a big deal.
3: Yeah, but he but he trans he translates yeah. now to younger yeah, and older a little generations.
1: Bit. Yeah, it's, Coach Prime's elevated, but he's not in another stratosphere. Taylor Swift he's, has he's, Taylor John, Swift's he's gone, gone the most from talked about
3: guy in college football and they won one game last year.
1: Taylor Swift has gone from star performer to Hall of Famer. Okay? That's the leap she made. And maybe You know, first ballot unanimous Hall of Famer, if we're using a sport analogy. Mm. The other person who's done it, Coach Prime's elevated a little bit, but if he goes three and nine, he's right back. You know, he's just Coach Prime. So here's the thing. How about Lionel Messi in Miami?
9: Oh, yeah, that guy.
3: Mm. (laughs) The dude is everywhere. I'm watching him on TV right now.
1: He has blown up. You're right, Steven. We should have known these. These are like Taylor Swift (laughs) and Messi. Yeah,
3: those are pretty easy, actually.
1: These were so (laughs) obvious.
9: Listeners. Listeners were shouting at the (laughs) radios. You idiots. It's so obvious. We're just
3: trying to make the host look good. You know, Anna, that's that's our job. That's really...
9: We know the role we play, Steven. We know. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Tweedledee and Dumb over here were like, I don't know. What could it be? Who could it be? I thought it was TikTok, so that's fine. (laughs) Well... I think, like, I, I go to watch, like, a, a show on Apple TV. Yeah. And they've got, like, four panels of Messi up there and all his highlights, and I gotta stop and watch his highlights. I'm on social media. Everybody's got a pink jersey on running around hugging because he scored another goal. It's unbelievable. He goes, like, one on five. He looks like the yard duty at the school dribbling through a bunch of kids and scoring goals like crazy. He makes it look so easy. He's blown up. He's on another stratosphere right now.
9: Are- are the pink? Can I ask a stupid question, since I've already been proven dumb? Uh, are the pink jerseys permanent? Is that the color of Miami? <laughs> like it, whatever Miami is called, Intercontinental Miami, whatever they Judah are. Judah might
3: know that question.
9: Or I thought it was <laughs> can breast I, cancer Judah, awareness or something. Can I just then, change
1: those, Judah? It's their home. That's their home jersey. That's is their it? home jersey. Isn't the pink their home jersey? That's, that's a, it. A kit. The kit, kit. yeah, it's their kit. Yeah, I'm looking online. It's the it's the only called a kit. They got a black and pink one, and they got a pink and black one. Oh, Miami
9: Vice! I get it. I get it.
1: But what do they do on Breast Cancer Awareness Day? You know, (laughs) they (laughs) They go shirtless. What do they do? (laughs) I don't know. But look, 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 Taylor Swift and Lionel Messi. All they need to do is like you know. Is do a concert together, or she shows up at a game? Do a collab. a collab. Leave it here. I have an honorable mention in my hey. You know what? Who the two people that have blown up the biggest in the last year? There's an honorable mention. Can you guys guess the honorable mention? I can try. You were over two. You were over two on Taylor Swift and Lionel Messi. Hmm. And by the way, I put a poll up. On my Twitter. Who'd you vote at for? At John by Canzano the way, John. BFT. Who, who's having the better year? Taylor Swift or Lionel Messi?
3: Who would you vote for?
9: Who's who's number one in the uh, John Canzano rankings?
1: I think Taylor Swift. Wow. I think she's winning. That's who I voted for.
9: I would have gone Messi.
1: Hmm. Although, you know the thing that Messi does? Judas probably our soccer guy on this show, but he makes it look easy. And he makes the MLS players look pedestrian. I mean, they just, they they look overmatched, but he did that wherever he's played. So I don't want to, like, the stuff he's doing, I think works anywhere, but I still think, like, the reason I say he's blown up to another stratosphere is he has infiltrated the casual sports fan's psyche in a way that other soccer players... Maybe David Beckham is the only Yeah. The other other soccer players have not done this.
9: <laughs> and Like who? <laughs>
1: David Beckham. We know him. But I, I you know, we can name other soccer players like internationally, but yeah, yeah. he's done it. And Apple is behind that too, because Apple's made him the face of soccer. Judah Newby, what Messi is doing, what you see him doing on a night to night basis, the highlights, the goals. Feel like he scores the goal every three minutes. Um, how special does that
0: feel in MLS? Oh, it's it's really unprecedented. It's crazy. Um, la- late last week, we had on uh, Jake Zivin, who was the longtime Timbers play-by-play man, and now he's the lead play-by-play man for Apple, and um, he's called every one of Messi's MLS games, including this uh, League's Cup tournament. So. He helped contextualize what this is and, and what is uh, what's going on here. The funny thing about Messi's style is that he walks around the field. Like during the game, he walks a vast majority of the time. And a no kind of hustle in his game. He's exactly. conserving
9: energy. So if he tried, <laughs> he'd be when even he better. Needs it.
0: If he actually tried, he, he <laughs> might make something of himself. Think how good he would be if
3: he gave effort.
9: <laughs> but then, Tweet
0: that. You should totally tweet that. That's
9: my whole concept behind naps, Judah. Yeah, exactly. It really is. It it's, translates.
0: Energy conservation is yeah. a, is a massive Roping thing, and, and Messi is exhibit A of why that works. You can be the greatest ever if you know how to rest often enough.
9: Is he only the greatest right now because the structure of that team serves him up to make mm. all these shots?
0: I don't think so. No, I think he he turned he'd still be this good if he played in the Saudi league. And that's kind of the thing, too. Do you think Messi is bigger because he chose to turn down Saudi and and come to MLS? and get this kind of uh, exposure. Yes,
1: because I think if he were doing this somewhere else, it wouldn't be as big a deal. Like in and part of like my thing is who's blown up is we have a very American centric viewpoint of that. Like, you know, somebody in another country might not see Taylor Swift quite as big. Maybe they would. But what he's doing is, you know, remarkable in that I have friends who are not soccer fans who are retweeting his goals and going, this is amazing. This is incredible. Did you see what he did? And and I actually think the league should do an experiment. They should take him and put him on the bad teams and let him dribble around and score goals, <laughs> and you know, like permanent quarterback. Well, correct me our, if I'm
3: wrong, Judah. Miami is the worst team in MLS.
0: Miami sucks. <laughs> that, it, that's the hilarious thing is that they are, I mean, previous to Messi. And since Messi's arrival, they added a couple other international yeah. stars to help. But the fascinating thing, he has yet to play an actual Major League Soccer game. The only games he's played in so far are these in-season tournament games, Leagues Cup, which they won, and the game he's playing tonight is another in-season tournament, the U.S. Open Cup. He doesn't play an actual regular season game until Saturday at uh, New York Red Bulls. And when he does, that's when the standings officially count for the MLS regular season. Miami, last place to the Eastern Conference on 15 points to this point, like buried below. It's going to take something remarkable for them to make the playoffs, but at the same time, you can't bet against him because they've literally won every game with Messi so far.
1: All right, so he is now the team captain and he wears the armband, but DeAndre and I'm gonna mess this up, Yedlin. Yeah. Uh was the team captain before him. I thought it was a pretty cool move. And they win this in season tournament. He takes the armband off, puts it on DeAndre Yedlin's arm, basically saying, You are still the captain. I'm not just me. And then Messi refused to pick up the trophy by himself. He made his teammates come and pick, him, pick up the trophy with him be, because he didn't want it viewed as he had won the trophy, he had won the tournament, it was his tournament. Hmm. And that was a pretty cool move.
9: Classy. It's
1: like Taylor Swift you know, going to the opening act and going, hey, you sing a couple songs right in the middle of my performance. Um, pretty cool move. All right, who is my honorable mention? Can anybody get the honorable mention? Somebody who has raised their profile as a entertainer or athlete in the last year in a way that uh, is really made them stand out? Who is number three? You guys are 0 for 2.
3: I mean, I'm 0 for 2. I would love for someone else to guess. I, I'm deer in the headlights are, right now.
0: Are <laughs> deer in are the
9: headlights.
0: Are they in Portland? No. <laughs> no. Oh,
9: that was
0: cute. Um, I was going like, to say Dame, but, you know, because in a more no, infamous way. No, raise the
1: profile. Raise the profile. I would say
0: that he has raised his Pete profile. Pete
1: Davidson. No. Oh, T. Davidson got another tattoo. That's John not Malaney, a raising of the world. <laughs> no. Guys, how about oh. Shohei Otani? Oh, him! <laughs> the guys are. Who am I working with here? He was already MVP. Yeah, but he has elevated himself in this last year. Like, you know, like it's an honorable mention. It's not Taylor Swift like, it's not messy, but I would put Otani third.
3: Yeah, he's up there. What about Patrick Mahomes over him?
1: He yeah. just rel- he
3: raised it because of a Netflix documentary.
1: Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think you guys know what I'm talking about. I, I feel like it. I'm speaking another Honestly, language. Honestly, I
0: think uh, I'm embarrassed.
1: I don't think you're wrong on
0: that. I think you're <laughs> right on with all three of those. I'm, I can't <laughs> I, believe I didn't get any of them.
9: I know. I don't Ooh. even want to give it That's to him, the... but he is right. Oh, wow. Let's,
1: let's do the five oh. at five on that note. I'm going to take a victory lap.
0: The
4: five at five.
1: I don't think I should have to count the five at five anymore. I think you should just go and go, hey, my top story is.
9: Okay. My top story, not in any order of appearance, but I'm putting it first because we were just talking about him, is (laughs) Shohei Otani. Yes. Uh, He's made his first pitching start in two weeks, but he was removed from the mound in the top of the second inning just after throwing 26 pitches. He was showing uh, diminished velocity through the first five batters that he faced and then ultimately left uh, after a discussion with the team trainer. He was replaced by Tyler Anderson. Team announced shortly after his exit that he was dealing with some arm fatigue. He was pinch hit for his next turn through the lineup in the bottom of his the His next third. at bat. Mm-hmm.
1: Turn. What is turn? this, Little League? It's your turn. Um, hey, uh, Otani hit a home run in this game. You're leaving that part out. By the way, yeah. Yeah, so guy hits a home run. He's got a rubber arm. He's got, you know, essentially they're saying he's got fatigue in the arm. He says he doesn't have pain. But this is a concern. If you are the Angels or you are the free agent market, you're looking at Shohei Otani and you're going, okay, home run number 44. But part of what makes him great is the fact that at age 29, he is arguably on any given day the best hitter and the best pitcher in baseball at the same time kind of a big deal. Fact, Worth
9: an honorable mention. Worth
1: worthy of being a guy who we could say has elevated his profile in the last year.
9: That guy has a blister mm. on his right throwing hand. Is that it? It's caused him to leave the pitching starts early over the last couple of months. A yeah. blister.
1: But they're saying arm fatigue. Mm-hmm. That that raises concerns about the workload um the shoulder. The fact that he's not having any pain is cool, but his his fastball averaged almost 4 miles an hour slower. In the in the start today than it did during season starts. Is that so going was, to
3: is that going to affect his upcoming contract?
1: Could it could, but as long as there's not a surgery, it probably won't. He's such a got to get him got to get him some rest. Got to number
0: two.
9: Uh, Chicago White Sox chairman Jerry Wright says he's had enough. He's eighty seven and couldn't bear to watch the team perform so poorly.
1: I thought you were going to say he crawled into a coffin.
9: (laughs) I mean. No, but you said he's had enough.
1: He's 87. (laughs) I thought the next line was going to be, and he he closed the coffin. No, he's had enough of watching his team.
9: Yes. He fired White Sox Vice President Kenny Williams and GM Rick Hahn yesterday afternoon. Uh, Did it at the field and Reinsdorf himself has attended fewer games this season than he's ever really had in Mm. years. Um, The reports are that he made the decision a week ago that both needed to go. He was waiting to see if anything could maybe change his mind, but time only cemented his decision. I think there's
1: a season for all things, right? You know, even with great coaches. Bill Belichick, there's a season for him. There's a season for Greg Popovich. There was a season for Bobby Knight at Indiana. There's a season for all things. And I bring these things up because the Chicago White Sox, for more than two decades, have had Rick Hahn or Ken Williams part of the team, if not in charge of the team. Too long. Stale.
9: they failed to win a single postseason series since 2005.
1: They've, yeah, they've, they've failed. I think I was at that World Series in 2005 they were in against the Astros. If I remember. That was the, ga- that was the game. They-, they had the like the 15 or the 17 inning game in the World Series. Hmm. I-, I was sitting next to the Spanish language uh, broadcaster in the press box. 15th inning, top of the 15th, he pulled out a shave kit and shaved. That's how long <laughs> the game was. Kid fell asleep on top of the dugout. People remember that, watching that at home. <laughs> Anna, you're on to number three here. Here you go.
9: See, you're back to counting. Can't help it.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh
9: Corey Davis with the New York Jets, retiring at age twenty-eight, announced that today. Said the decision wasn't easy, been searching his heart for what to do. Felt stepping away from the game is the best path for him at this time. Uh twenty-eight years old. Twenty-eight years old and retiring. Um see the the decision comes amid some changes they've made on the Offensive side of things for the upcoming season, Aaron Rodgers, running back Dalvin Cook, offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett. But uh, this guy, calling it in at 28. What do you think about that?
1: I think his heart wasn't in it. They're, They're thin at his position. It was kind of a weird announcement. He played like 12 snaps in their preseason game over the weekend. And Robert Sala, the coach of the Jets, said... He was asked by a reporter about Davis's status, and he said he can take as much time as he wants because I think he was anticipating that he just needed some time away. His heart doesn't appear to be in it. And, you know, he's due $10 million by the Jets. It'll be interesting to see how that gets sorted out. Will they pay him? Will he go on the injured reserve? Is it a mental health issue? Um, he's got, he said he wanted to spend more time with his children, his wife, and that's great. It, it just looks like his heart is not in it anymore, and you know, and that sometimes happens in the NFL and other professional sports. It leaves the Jets in a little bit of a circumstance with Aaron Rodgers being a little short-handed at the wide receiver position.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: I wonder if it'll show up on Hard Knocks. You think they'll cover it part of the series? I don't know. I hope so. Moving on, what number? Uh, this what do you is got? Number, four. number four.
9: So we've been chatting a little about Stephen Curry. Stephen Curry. Stephen Steph. Steph. Just say Steph Curry. Steph Curry. I don't know why I'm blanking on how to pronounce his name. Uh, he proclaimed himself the best point guard in NBA history in a podcast earlier this week with Girlbert Arenas. And uh, Stephen A. Smith is saying that Michael Jordan texted him at 545 in the morning to weigh in. And he says uh, that Michael Jordan told him, although greatest of anything is always a debate, I beg to differ on greatest point guard of all time. Magic Johnson is yeah. easily the best point guard of all time. Steph Curry is very close, but not in front of Magic. He went on to clarify, this was some text message. Jordan, apparently an early riser on this day. I thought
1: you were going to say Jordan at 545 said, I'm in the gym working out. I'll get <laughs> back to you after the Could workout." Could just be
3: yeah. a random friend named Michael Jordan? Like, not the actual Michael Jordan?
1: Could be.
9: I mean, I think Stephen A. Smith probably has him saved in there appropriately as the right Michael Jordan. I don't think he you he's seen
3: Stephen A. Smith at 545. Yeah. That
9: doesn't make sense to
1: me. Wanted to let him know before he got on air. I'm so calling he BS. Could, he could go out and... Did you see the uh, Stephen A. Smith... Uh,
9: but wait, there's more. All right, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. He added that he believes Curry is by far the best shooter of all time, but Jordan wrote that Johnson invented the triple-double and pointed out that Magic has five NBA titles and just one for Curry. There you go. I am done. Go uh, ahead. I, talk amongst right, yourselves. Talk
1: amongst yourselves. Let's talk about the greatest point guards ever. <laughs> Steph Curry's in the conversation. So is Magic Johnson. So is John Stockton. So is who else are we counting? Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, uh, Walt Frazier. Uh, are we going to count? Up, you Chris know, Paul? Who, Chris Paul maybe in that conversation. Isaiah Thomas could be in that conversation. I think. Uh, I think the alleged Michael Jordan probably has it right. It's Magic, who could play all five positions. Steph Curry could not play center in an NBA Finals game. Magic did it. I would give the nod to Magic. Steven?
3: Uh, Yeah, I'd say Magic uh, overall career is probably a little bit better. They both changed the game. I think that's one thing. Magic was like the first real, really tall point guard. And then I think people were looking for that. And then Steph obviously changed the game with his shooting. So I would give it to Magic, though. Uh, But, you know, you can't go wrong with any of those things. I do... Disagree with some of the things that uh, the alleged Michael Jordan texted Stephen A. Smith on Magic invented the triple-double, which is a fake stat. It's not even a real stat. The triple-double is. That has no effect on anything. So I, but I don't you
1: know. know what he's talking about.
3: But it's, I have a problem with the triple-double. Why? What's
9: your issue with the it's triple-double? Not even,
3: it's not even a real stat. No, it's not a real thing. Someone just made it up because they saw, oh, look, they have three stats that are 10+. plus. You've said this before. I have a real problem with it.
1: By the yeah. way, did you see Lonzo Ball clapping back at Stephen A. Smith? I did. Yeah. Is that video not safe for work? Can we not play that? on uh, No,
9: you can play that. Yeah.
1: All right. I can only pull it up. Can you, you pull it up? But Anna, you're, you're not. I'm assuming you're not including this in your five at five.
9: I'm not. I have right. one more, and right. it's, it's not honorable that mention. one.
1: Okay, so honorable mention four B. <clears throat> so Lonzo Ball, Bulls point guard. Yeah. Became the subject of a conversation. Stephen A. Smith was saying, "You know, he's got a lingering knee injury. He's having problems." Uh, Stephen A. Smith said that he was having problems even standing up and even sitting down. And so Lonzo Ball, in in the most 2023 thing ever, basically just pointed a, posted a video of himself getting up and sitting down and jumping around, showing that his knee is okay. Go ahead, Stephen A
4: your sources bro please please tell me who your sources are come on man come on man you gotta stop yapping and I actually like you man I don't even know you like that but I like you I'm coming back man come on
3: doing that while standing and sitting from a chair
1: yeah basically saying you got bad sources
3: huh does that actually mean anything just cause he can stand
1: up though no but I also think Stephen A. Smith might have been told that by somebody Who's yeah. saying, "Hey, he's still—he's not ready. He's not anywhere close. He's still having problems standing up and sitting down." But Lonzo, I thought that was pretty funny. Basically, jumping around, going, "Hey, you're wrong." Yeah. Number five, what do you got?
9: Uh, well, I'm talking basketball. Angel Reese of LSU. Yeah, I remember her. You might recall she helped LSU win a national title back in April. But now she has become a celebrity. So she has signed various NIL deals. Yeah, she was
1: right after Shohei on my in list.
9: In <laughs> excess of a million dollars. She's raking up the social media followers, throwing out the first pitch in the Orioles game, appearing in a Cardi B music video. So all of this has led to her deciding that she's going to be taking classes online at LSU instead of attending in person this coming college year
0: I think a lot
1: of athletes do that
9: she says it's kind of hard for her to like walk around campus you know with her new she's a big she's status. a big deal she's a
1: big deal on campus yeah but I think a lot of athletes do that like as we have had athletes on the show over the years um, Bo Nix last year at Oregon I don't think he had an in-person class oh really Jaden Grant at Oregon State he had one in-person class and it was yoga yeah so I think there's something to that like you know I think athletes once they get to a certain level yeah kind of stop going because they know they don't have to go they just take online courses I don't think she's um, I don't think it's gonna hurt her progress towards graduation
9: well it might help some people you know yeah do better that
1: I way. think she did a nice thing I want to point this out because I've been critical of her like I don't like some of what she she, she does and represents yeah I don't I don't kind of like the trash talking. Element to their like winning the championship and and not and looking like you're a poor winner didn't fly well with me. Okay, but here's a good thing she did. She her high school, St. Francis Academy in Baltimore, um, she she donated twelve thousand dollars to pay for the tuition to give a scholarship to a girls basketball player at her old high school. Oh, cool. Um, basically. You know, donating the money to cover the tuition expenses of one girl who yeah. will play basketball at her old high school. That's, that's, oh, that's a nice cool. gesture. Yeah. For a college kid, because yeah, yeah. you don't think about that. We don't. We wait, we usually wait till they get to the pros, and then we go, okay, now they have walking around money. Mm-hmm. Now they can go and give back. It's like when Gary Payton was supposed to give $4 million to Oregon State, and he kind of didn't after pro- pledging to do it. And, you know, and Oregon State was always kind of, like, there was this weirdness around, like, is Gary going to give the money? Is Gary not going to give the money? Everybody knew Gary had the money. And he would get the, you know, the contracts would be public. Oh, Gary Payton signed a contract extension. And then I can remember Bob DeKeralis at Oregon State going, you know, hey, why don't you ask him about that? But don't say that we asked. (laughs) You know, like, they were were, uh, interested in knowing what was going on, wanted the money, but... But this is a case, like, with in the NIL world. Like, Bo Nix can afford to, you know, he can afford to make a donation to the University of Oregon if he wants to. Right. By the way, the campaign, the billboard campaigns in yeah. Oregon, you saw the one, the new one that in went up Texas? in Texas? Yeah. I'm told by an Oregon spokesperson that there are plans for more billboards coming soon. Where's the next billboard for Bo Nix going to pop up? Where should it be?
9: <laughs> Stephen. Uh, here, let us go for three. Uh, let ask these
1: dunces what they think. Here we go. What do you guys think, huh? Well, let's consult the tribal let's council. Start, let's wherever start, Messi's playing, that's where. It needs let's start to go. crossing and off places as well, you name them.
9: Help me understand. Like New York, I get.
1: Man, uh-huh. that's where
9: Mariota's yep. big poster was. Then I went to was. Dallas. What? Why? Is this just market size? Is there like a is there a Heisman connection to Dallas? I don't. I don't really know the context of you know what this billboard accomplishes i think it's kind of
1: a big city it's a big market i think you yeah. should it's put prob- it
9: in
3: uh, auburn alabama
1: well it, you know his hometown oh. is pinson alabama but
9: that's that's like preaching to the choir yeah but they
1: don't like him down in auburn
9: oh oh, oh i see
1: that would be shady well yeah. so
9: then but well, by the by that logic though like new york dallas dallas, dallas yeah, is la la is dallas
1: is a hotbed of recruiting yeah okay, Texas, you're in the heart of Texas, okay, you're in the biggest city in Texas, Dallas, okay, okay. is this
9: a recruiting thing then? don't you think it is? I don't know. I thought like the Mariota thing <laughs> was was all pushing toward heisman publicity
1: yeah, right? Mariota, yeah, like Marcus Mariota, yeah,
9: yeah. Like the billboards went up to promote him in advance of the Heisman voting. I don't think no?
1: Mariota had a had a billboard. I think, as I remember, Joey Harrington had a billboard. Oh, Joey. Then, Joey. Uh, then Keenan Howry had a billboard. I think. Okay. And then Joey Mariota might have had something after he won the Heisman. They might have done a little congrats thing. I, but I don't remember him having one in front of that season. Okay. Um. So
9: this is a recruiting thing. I,
1: I, you're you're. Uh, you're not performing well on the show today.
9: <laughs> you're, you're, you're I'll fire myself.
1: Marcus Mariota out there. Right, but listen, I'll fact check that. According to but, yeah,
3: according to my research here, there was uh, no Duck Mariota uh billboard. There was one in Nashville when he got drafted by the Titans, mm-hmm. But uh no Oregon Duck Mariota.
1: Okay. <laughs> so, there research team. Uh so let me <laughs> Let me ask you this: (laughs) Where? What's the next city you think? L.A.
9: We need some more interns. I would put it. I
1: put it right outside of the USC, the Coliseum at USC. Right, right in USC's front porch,
9: but high enough so it can't be vandalized. (laughs) There you go. You know, you got to think about those kind of things.
1: How about LAX, right by the airport? Sure. There it is. All right. Thank you, Anna. Appreciate your contribution. You're so welcome. Yeah, you bet. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Over the years as a Heisman voter, I have received swag in the mail from a variety of universities and marketing teams that are trying to uh, promote Heisman trophy candidates. Um one of the uh one of the schools uh, sent like a like a mouse pad that you're supposed to use on your desktop with your computer. Another sent like a like a uh, notepad, that wasn't unusual to get a notepad at media day for with the Heisman candidates. It's become less fashionable in recent years, but it it came up um, in the last couple of days as we've been talking about Bo Nix and the bodacious campaign that the Wyden and Kennedy advertising firm in downtown Portland is behind. Uh, I am told that Oregon is not paying for the billboards that it is coming from an outside uh, entity, which is either Phil Knight or Nike, or maybe it's Division Street, I don't know, but it's not Oregon. Um, It's just Oregon, not Oregon, if you know what I mean. Uh, But it it, uh, jarred a memory for Doug Tamaro, who is a longtime SID in the Pac-12 conference. He's at Arizona State. And he sent me a note just uh, during the commercial break saying the the greatest Heisman campaign ever was one at Notre Dame that was uh, launched by a sports information director named Roger Valdeseri, who was at Notre Dame for years and years and years. Um, you probably aren't familiar with this campaign, but um, Valdeseri died Just this, uh, about about a year and a half ago at the age of 95. And the legend goes that during his run as sports information director, Notre Dame won four national titles in football. But he damn near stole the Heisman Trophy in 1970. Do you remember who won the Heisman Trophy? Well, Stanford's Jim Plunkett won the Heisman. But who was second? Second went to Notre Dame quarterback, who led the Irish to a 10-and-run record that year. And they were number two in the final poll. It was Joe Theisman. Now, Joe Theisman arrived at Notre Dame, and the pronunciation of his last name was Theisman. And he, he swore to Roger Valdeseri, the sports information director, that the, the correct pronunciation of his last name was Theisman. But Valdeseri told him, I want to tell you something. There's a trophy out there called the Heisman Trophy. Goes to the best college football player in the country. We think you have a chance to win that trophy. But your athletic ability, your reputation, that Notre Dame, the brand, we don't think it's enough. We would like to change the pronunciation of your last name from Theisman to Theisman. We think that will give you a better chance to win the trophy. Now, Joe Theisman, as he's known today, went home and called his father, said to his dad, what do you think about this? They want to change the pronunciation of our last name. He ended up on the phone with his German grandmother after that call, and he said, Granny, they want to change the pronunciation of our last name from Thiesman to Theismann. And she told him, actually, the correct pronunciation is Thiesman." Well, he said it's closer. So he got the matriarch of the family to give the blessing. So Joe Thiesman, who really was Thiesman, became Joe Thiesman and finished second to Jim Plunkett in the Heisman Trophy vote. Do you guys think the marketing matters as much today with all the social media, the branding that the schools do? Maybe it doesn't, but. That's a pretty interesting story that Joe Theisman grew up as Joe Theisman and only became Joe Theisman amid a Heisman campaign that was launched in nineteen seventy at Notre Dame. That's why you come to the show. You learn things like that. But do you guys think do you think, Stephen, it matters as much in today's college football and today's ecosystem of sports? Does the campaign matter? Does a Heisman campaign matter?
3: Uh, no, I don't think that it does, but what I think it does do is it convince. it's, it's like you said, I think it's recruiting. I think it's recruiting not only for future players, but also to keep guys from leaving. Bo Nix could have left and gone to the NFL. And I'm not saying if they didn't make him a billboard that he would have left, but I do think that that was in it. Like, Hey, you know what? You come back. We can make a Heisman push yada 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 we can give them this much money and i think that helps them go in because we see the all these kids with you know the recruiting videos and when they sign their letters of intent how in, intense these videos can get and how just how choreographed they are i think young kids like to just have you know the, i would love to have a billboard like if i was playing i would love to be on a billboard i think it'd be really cool like would it help no but i think it'd be cool to see myself on there so i, I get it like i like i like the fact that they're doing this and i think it does affect the recruiting and you know it puts them out there. Like I don't, I don't think it would work if Alabama does it. Like they're too much of a historical football tradition. Oregon's tradition is to be innovative and be out there. So I think it fits Oregon's brand, and I think it helps with their recruiting as well. Like I, I, I love everything about it.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that you brought something up that I hadn't thought about. I, do you think this, is, this might have been part of Bo Nix's NIL deal that he agreed when he was returning that. Part of it was, hey, you know, he he wouldn't tell me on Media Day what he's getting. He didn't want to talk about it, you know, and I understand that. But it's it's reported and rumored to be a seven-figure deal. Is it possible that Bo Nix's return to Oregon included, hey, you're going to get set amount of money, set amount of promotional consideration. We'll do billboards in XYZ cities. We're going to build your brand. It's not just going to be, uh, you know, us paying you to come back. Because Oregon has the ability, but with the Nike marketing machine and Wyden and Kennedy on its side, Oregon has the ability to do some things that go beyond other schools. So is this a flex by Oregon by saying to to Bo Nix and to other athletes that might one day take an NIL deal, hey, you know what, you stay at Oregon, you come to Oregon... The world opens to you in a way that it doesn't open to you at other schools.
3: I, I think brand is everything nowadays, and you know, talking to my wife, Coach Vaughn, you know, high school teacher, high school coach, like she even sees like those kids trying to develop their brand, and she even tells them like, you know, what if you're going to make it in this world of NIL, like it's all about branding, even if it's just like on a, a local level. So I think for Oregon, it can help Bo Nix elevate his brand because if he does end up winning the Heisman, John, like he's going to go down in history as you know, as a guy that will always be remembered and so i think it can't really hurt him to get this type of branding out there and help him so i do think like this was definitely a motivational factor for Nix to come back and i think oregon probably pushed and said hey look you know we will mo- we will promote you we will put advertising dollars into you and it's only going to help you it's only going to help your brand because you know like i said earlier like down at auburn and the south they don't believe in Nix. they don't like Nix cuz he wasn't very good and he lost his job I think it's a great, like a it's almost a rebrand of Bo Nix to say you know what he was once the highest you know highest uh, number one high school quarterback in the nation. Now he's looking to be a first round pick, maybe a Heisman Trophy winner. I think it's all it all correlates with one another, and I think it's just it's great strategy uh, by Oregon Ducks and Eugene.
1: I think uh, it's really interesting. I think the tentacles. You're right. The tentacles go beyond. Just, hey, it's a Heisman campaign. And I think it's easily dismissible if somebody's going, oh, it's just a Heisman campaign. I think they missed the point if you're saying that. I think you're not thinking of the scope of it because it's not, it's, it's yeah, it's a Heisman campaign. Yeah, it's getting talked about. We're talking about it. Others talk about it. But I've spent way more time talking and thinking about billboards than I ever imagined.
3: But, but yeah, even to that, think about like the Joey Harrington billboard. Like I, people, other people besides people in the Northwest know about the Joey Harrington billboard. People are going to remember the Bo Nix billboard around the country. Like it's not going to be, you know, something that they always think about all the time. But when they think about the Heiser Trophy pushes, they'll think, oh yeah, remember these guys had billboards.
1: It's a branding statement for the program. You know, I have Dan Lanning on Friday's show. I'm going to ask him about that. You know, just from a, branding standpoint how much of a recruiting tool is it to have the ability to have a billboard in Times Square and be able to tell future recruits hey could be you one day you know might be you one day it's it's splashy it's interesting and you know it cost 250 thousand dollars when they did it for joey Harrington I can't imagine what those billboards are costing today you know they've got to be what five hundred thousand like you know but what that's, what but that's what's nothing the market
3: Oregon right that's nothing to them
1: And it's not Oregon's money either. That's the thing that got me is as I reached out to Oregon, like, you know, I basically was going, hey, do I do I need to do a records request here or not? And I'm told it's you're you're, there's no invoice for this. We didn't pay for it. So Oregon did not pay for those billboards. They, They said it was an outside entity that covered the cost of the billboards. And oh, by the way, they popped up in Manhattan. They popped up in Dallas. They're not done. Do you think, a, do you think it's it'll coming be in, soon.
3: in Big Ten country to kind of put put their stamp that, Ooh. hey, we're going to the Columbus, Big Ten?
1: Columbus, Chicago? Yeah, something like Maybe that. Maybe Chicago. Chicago or L.A.? With that, Those are my bets for the next Bo Nix billboard to pop up. Chicago or L.A.? I
3: think with the Pac-12, the way that they lost all their reputation, I think it is also good for branding for the University of Oregon to get back out there and say, look, we are— we're we're a national uh team. we are a national brand, and this is what we are now we're going to the big Ten. We can compete with Ohio State and Michigan like we're not afraid of those guys. I, I think it you know I, I think you're right on that. I think it's Chicago sounds like a really good uh possibility for Bonik
1: and, and there's three. a lot of the same everybody markets the same. everybody does the same thing. They all look at each other and they copy each other. everybody does the same. You See it on television, you know everything's promoted the same way. It's boring to me. And so, what Oregon does when they do a billboard at, in Manhattan or Dallas, Texas, and it's two different buildings and one picture, and, you know, it's, it. they announce that we're not like others. We're different. And I think that's a good statement to make while you're out trying to recruit and trying to set yourself apart. I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT. Dan Lanning, University of Oregon football coach, will be with us on Friday, I am told, Friday show. So, uh, We will uh, get that done. Uh, Oregon will play Portland State next week. We'll have Bruce Barnum, the Portland State football coach, on Tuesday's show. Uh, Also next week, Anthony Gold, wide receiver at Oregon State, will be joining us. He's going to join us every week during the season. Anthony Gold will be with us to talk about whatever is going on with Oregon State. Plus, um, he will be the subject of the weekly Jamba interview. Uh, Life better blended jamba you remember that with Jaden grant last year well anthony gold is taking over that role this season it'll be i think the ninth consecutive season that we've had an oregon state player who uh has decided to be on for the season so it'll be a lot of fun to have him uh as part of the the coverage who else do we want to get on i'd like to get bo nicks on steven you got any suggestions judas suggestions who else do we want on this show yeah, I next think, couple weeks.
3: I think Bo Nix would be awesome. Um, I I'm always curious to hear from uh, Damian Martinez. We don't really hear yeah. from him much. I would, I I, yeah. I love him, man. He is such a good running back. And the last six games of the year, he really came on to be the best running back in the league. So I think those guys. And I do love Jonathan Smith. He 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 was so open and candid and frustrated. You know, the day the Pac-12 really kind of broke up in Oregon and Washington left, he was so candid and open about it. I I do like to hear from Jonathan Smith and hear his uh, hear his thoughts.
1: That would be good. Judah, you got any any thoughts on the next couple of weeks? Who do we want to check in with, college football and otherwise?
0: Yeah, well, I love local guys in the NFL. If if we can get Coletto, I think that would be a mm. lot of fun now. Part of me wants to see him make the final roster and do that but at the same time you know he's making an impact i'd love to catch up with him do we I mean, need to get him on before the roster cuts maybe or, he did have a d- touchdown
3: the other day uh, do
0: we do we play it safe yeah well that's interesting i don't know cuz he's kind of got a Kyle Usechek light role and maybe he's the understudy to Usechek so i don't know if he's going to make it or not but maybe we try sooner than later on that front <laughs> um, be a good one. i've been thinking about Dan Fouts a lot um, Okay. and of course Herbert uh Herbert's interesting cuz you know, we haven't had him on in a long time and I don't think he's changed, but he's certainly a much bigger brand than he was when he used to come on uh at U of O. So I'd love to hear you interact with Herbert sometime. Okay. We'll get Herbert. That's on. a tougher one 'cause he's he's big yeah, now, but, but you can normally, get anybody.
1: You know what? Normally those guys will they'll do an interview here or there, especially if they've done interviews before. And they you know, the local, you know, old from their old uh, stomping grounds, uh you know, makes the request they they generally sometimes will uh, will uh, acquiesce there. so let's let's see what he says. Um, doesn't hurt to ask. I have reached out to Bill Walton. Nobody said Bill Walton. I reached out to him. He told me that he is uh, interested in coming on, and when he breaks his silence, he will do it on this show. So he said, you will be first. So I will hold him to that. But I kind of wanted to think, you know, get his impressions of what he saw happening because he was so heartbroken. When uh, you know the conference itself was imploding with uh, UCLA and USC leaving, and I, I gotta know kind of where he's at psychologically with uh, what he's seen happen with you know the downfall of the conference. Um, for people who are uh, just tuning in, we started the show today by talking about the potential for Stanford and Cal to join the ACC along with SMU, and sparked a conversation i think that was really interesting with a lot of participation from people we're just talking about the college ecosystem and how much will you watch the games how are you turned off by what you see in college athletics to the point where you go i you know i'll watch but to a point and i'm not sure if i'm going to watch beyond this season i've i've heard people say that and people say things like that all the time but i'm just kind of wondering where your mind is As it pertains to that subject, 503 417 7575. Tell me, you know, are you turned off by what you see in college athletics or are you excited about where it's going with the possibility of, you know, a 28 team league that would feature the top brands in college football and everybody else kind of playing for a middle or lower tier? Uh, playoff system ors you know or you know or not even mattering maybe they evaporate maybe college football is only 28 teams moving forward i don't know but you know are you turned off by kind of that dynamic and what you see uh or are you into it 503-417-7575 now i haven't touched on this and i want you because i think it, it it is a polarizing topic today in los angeles uh reggie bush held a news conference he plans to file a defamation lawsuit against the NCAA. Held this news conference at the Coliseum with his lawyers. At the center of the lawsuit is a comment that was published by the Los Angeles Times in 2021. Now, you may remember 2021, the, uh, there was a lot of legislation that was enacted that allowed college athletes to accept extra benefits. It was NIL legislation. Amid all that, the Los Angeles Times reached out to the NCAA and said, Hey, you know, you have removed Reggie Bush's records. Will you clear his name and reinstate and restore his records after this legislation is enacted? Because essentially, this is what Reggie violated. You know, he violated a rule that is now, you know, that is legal now. And the NCAA issued a statement to the Los Angeles Times basically saying, Although college athletes can now receive benefits for their names, images, and likenesses through endorsements and appearances, NCAA rules still do not permit, quote, pay-for-play type arrangements, end quote. Now, that was published in the LA Times. Subsequently, more than 20 other newspapers took that comment, reprinted it, and Reggie Bush's attorneys say that it caused irreparable damage to his reputation. The pay-for-play part raised some eyebrows at the time because Richard Bush wasn't accused of accepting pay to come to USC. He was accused of accepting an extra benefit from various agents that wanted to, that wanted Bush to sign with them in front of his NFL career. The gifts he got ranged from hotel stays to a rent-free home where Bush's family lived to a new suit that, you know, he had to wear the suit to go get his Heisman Trophy in 2005. There wasn't a pay-for-play element involved with it, not as far as I can see. But and in today's world, Reggie Bush, it would look you know, like an NIL deal, right? Well, I want to know what you think of this. Because on one hand, what Reggie Bush is accused of would probably be legal now in today's world. Do you think the NCAA should relax the rules and say, A, we're going to restore your records, therefore the Heisman Trust says, all right, the records are good, then you can have your Heisman back. Reggie, you get your Heisman. Are you in that camp? Or are you in the camp that that says, no, when he was playing, he broke a rule that was in place at the time, and you can't undo rules. He you know, he was getting something that other players couldn't get at the time. Therefore, his record should be thrown out. Which camp are you in, Steven?
3: Um That's tough. Like I think I would be in the camp of he's it was the rule back then, so they we can't give it back to you. Like he still doesn't have the Heisman trophy. And it's so dumb because the rule is so dumb, but I do think that everyone knew what those rules were for extra benefits and he took the extra benefits. Like he knew he was breaking the rules where it's different now and it would be different it would be okay now. But he knew it was you know, that's that was against the rules back then. So I I don't think you can go back and change the rules and then just retroactively say, here you go, you can have this back now. I do think you have to
1: abide by what what it was back then. I think it's gonna be really interesting. Because the the NCAA says he did pay for play and Reggie says he didn't They could end up in court, but I just think Reggie wants his trophy back. That's what he really wants. Um, All right, Pat, North Portland. Pat, you got to be quick. you got about 30 seconds. Where do you stand on college football? Hey,
4: I'll tell you, John, I'm I'm old enough. I remember the Pac-8. I love that division, and I am just heart sick about Oregon State and Wazoo. Um, I'm going to follow the season with great anticipation this year, but after that, I just don't know. I'm just, I've kind of fed up with everything. So yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. And I'm kind of an emotional guy about the whole thing. And so um, I haven't processed it, still doing it. And uh, I'm wishing the best for the for Wazoo and for the Beeves.
1: Thank yep. you. I think you're not alone. We're back tomorrow with another great show. Appreciate you.